the blue and the white. I was like, okay. Oh, my Vanguard chamber is painted up in this jersey color, so. Oh. And then all my lords were painted up in the black and the white and the red. Or black, red, yellow, whatever was the last stream. Okay. Hello, everybody. My name is Paul, and welcome to the Stormkeep. Uh, today we are going to be talking about how to collect a Stormcast army, and we are joined by our first night guestor, uh, Anthony, the AOS coach. How you doing, buddy? G'day, g'day, and apologies to all of the vindictors out there. Uh, it's not the... I just want to make this formal apology. I'm one of the content creators that said vindicators, and I just want to apologize again on behalf of us creators who added an extra A. <laughs> It's so it's wild just how present that that typo is, uh, because you think people should know the word vindictive. I, I don't know when you're in this community, when you when you're a Games Workshop customer, I feel like people would know the word vindictive. It seems to just come up. How dare yeah, I just, not know your 80 war scrolls? <laughs> I know there's too many ors. something or <laughs> age of something has a great video on that. Yes. Shout out to age of something. Oh, yeah. Fantastic video. How are you guys doing in the chat? Yeah. All right, uh, so today we're talking about how to start collecting a Stormcast army. Not as much as uh, we normally focus on gameplay type things. We won't be talking about that, obviously, um, but today we're more focused on the hobby side of things. We're talking about uh, how to start collecting the army in particular because we get a lot of questions from our Discord server asking, oh, I got the Dominion box, what should I get next? Uh, should I get this unit? Or, you know, we get a lot of people coming to us and saying, Oh, I bought, you know, 10 Vanquishers. Is that a mistake? I feel bad now, you know, all kinds of things like that. So kind of just wanted to have a roundtable discussion. Um, no formal data crunching, really. This is all just gut feeling, whatever you feel like doing, um, and general advice. So this is a little less structured, and uh, that's okay. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. So I guess we should uh, start the discussion off by talking about how each of us got into Stormcast, uh, where we started off, what our first purchases were, and uh, we'll try to see who the, uh, it's not going to be James, but we'll see who the oldest Stormcast player in, the, in here is. <laughs> uh, and we'll start with you, Anthony. Lead us off. How did you uh, get into Stormcast? What made, what really appealed to you about them? Well, I'm glad I prepared this earlier without you, without even knowing you were going to do this. Um, so I, I'm an old school Warhammer Fantasy Battles player. I played well back into third edition and I played the Empire which is where Sigmar came from and, you know, united the, the barbarian tribes to ultimately create the greatest faction in time and space. And when the old world destroyed and, um, you know, Age of Sigmar was, was launched, there was that core box, the 4th of January, you go into games, sorry, 4th of July, you go into games workshop to pick up that box for, I think, the 11th of July, and it came with Stormcast. And I had a real love-hate relationship with Stormcast because as an Empire man, I'm like, I like my humans. I like my farms. Tell me about the farmers and the peasants. And I, I, one of my first purchases was that box that I started using as allies. Um, wasn't quite committed to Stormcast. It wasn't my first army. Um, but I started playing with allies, whether it was the... Um, what did, I, what, did I, what did I ally with? There's a whole bunch of allies. I've used like the Knight in Cantor. I've used Prosecutors. I've used Griffhounds. Back in the day, you could take Griffhounds as ones. Yeah. So I'd take like three <laughs> three little Griffhounds and run oh, these little yeah, dogs around the table. Yeah, I missed that. that. It was back. so cool. You'd yeah. have like three, yeah. like, you know, you'd have like 
three doggos running around and, you know, you had the, uh, ex- what was it? The Excelsior priest with his little hammer from Warhammer Quest. But anyway, I've been, I've been, oh, yeah. I've been, I've been a non-Stormcast player, but a Stormcast player throughout the entire Age of Sigma. I just haven't known it. Um, and I think maybe one of the things that's happened recently is I've actually committed to the book and I'm now actually going to play the faction as opposed to bringing them in as allies to the other order factions. Mm-hmm. Right on. Right on. We're going to talk about you. When did you uh, start with Stormcast? Um, I want to say two and a half to three years ago. Um I was mostly playing Magic at the time, and uh, I walked into the fantasy. Warhammer was something I've always wanted to get into, but I never really found the crowd or like the, I guess how to get into it. Um, and they had a sale going on, I think, for Halloween, and it was the Corn versus uh, Stormcast box that was on sale. Yeah. That basically had like all the initial like Mandis Hammerhand and all those units versus all the Corn units. And I had a friend who wanted to buy the Corn side and who wanted to get into the game. So I was like, okay, perfect, we can pick up this box for half price. And then it was just like off. I started talking to people online. I started talking to people in the shop, bought my first can of Retributor armor, bought my first Cantor blue, my first lead belcher. And yeah, that, that was one of the best nights. That was one of the busiest nights I had just clipping models, spraying them right there. And like an idiot, I didn't open my window. So my house smelled like (laughs) (laughs) not a good idea. Don't do that guys. And yes. And I've basically, um, I know like, for me, like the aesthetic of, I really like that they have that sort of somewhere between a Roman and a Norse aesthetic going on, like they're an army of Thors, but they have very like Roman organization, and I, I don't know, that was just wonderful to me. Yeah, yeah, I've always liked that. That's what got me into them was uh, just I looked at them and I saw Roman gladiators with Art Deco wings, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And they're yeah. all paladins, and then they added like ranger paladins and wizard paladins, and I yeah I, yeah love yeah. it, fantastic. Uh, James, how about you, man? When did you start your Stormcast journey? Uh, so I started my Stormcast journey earlier this year in February, the same time that I started my journey into Age of Sigmar. Uh, I remember having lunch with Paul one day and just asking him about, hey, tell me about Age of Sigmar. I know when we lived together, you played it a lot. Do you still play it? Um, eventually, his advice was really just pick an army that you think looks cool and then go from there. Um, my whole plan was with the... Um, with things happening in the world right now, I just needed something to hold myself over, and I just wanted to pick a painting. So I just picked some models that look cool. I bought both star collecting boxes with the hopes that, you know, prosecutors look like a really fun model to paint. So let's do that. And then from there, Paul started shaping me into what our buddy calls a stiletto of a player. And yeah, I started accumulating a lot of Stormcast over the year, and I think I'm up to like thirteen to 15,000 points of Stormcast. <laughs> That's insane for one year, man. Absolutely insane. Yep. And you didn't even get the Nurgle treatment to go from 1,000 points to 10,000 points with one book update. Nope. Yeah. Now, James, you did have to suffer through the tail end of second edition where Stormcast were unarguably at their worst they've ever been. And uh, I just remember teaching you games in, in my basement and being like, okay, so this is this is how the army plays. And they look super durable, but they are just not. They are paper thin. They're just going to crumble and die. And the best you can do is throw units away and shoot stuff while you do it. And that's all. That's all I remember about second edition. And quite honestly, third edition makes it feel a lot different. Uh, and I'm more aware of how our army plays in third edition. So, yeah. Uh, for myself, I started playing Stormcast. I didn't 
I didn't initially like them when they first came out. I wasn't uh, really playing Warhammer Fantasy at the time. I kind of had like a passing interest in it as a kid. Oh, you know, I get an Empire box here and there. Shout out to Empire. Coach. <laughs> Birds of a Feather yeah. Man. Um, I always liked the Empire. I always liked Lizard Men. And then uh, I, I, I heard, you know, rumors of this, this Warhammer Fantasy End Times thing. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I kind of paid tertiary attention to it. And I remember back in 2015, I remember looking online one day and I'm like, oh, they blew up the world. And here's this army of same looking dudes all painted the same color and they just look terrible and they killed the Warhammer world for this. Like, this is awful. And sorry to interrupt you, Paul, but I do remember specifically driving back home from work one day and you were trying to get me into this, into Age of Sigmar, yeah. telling me about the rules. I'm just like, I was just like, nah, not my thing. Yep. That, that was, uh, that was about six months later. Uh, I decided to just buy lizard men cause I, I really like lizard men. I always did. And I just bought a box and I started painting them. And then I played a game on my coffee table with my buddy Pat and the rules were just good. They were clean and simple and you didn't have all these, because Pat tried so many times to get me into Warhammer Fantasy. He had, he had a whole bunch of armies and the game was just way too complicated. Like it was the, the, the rule book, the rules themselves were so thick. And I'm like, I'm never going to, I'm never going to figure this out. Right. Plus I was a student at the time, didn't have a lot of time or money. So whatever. Always liked the models, never could get into it. And then, uh, and then 2016, I got, I had some lizard men and they came out with those battle forces for Stormcast. And the whole time I was playing lizard men, I was looking at these Stormcast guys. I'm like, you know, I really didn't like them at first, but the more I see them, especially when I see them in colors other than gold, they start to look really, really good. There's a lot of cool mm -hmm. armor trim on these guys that just makes the layered armor look really good. Um, now that said, I do like Thunderstrike more than the old armor, but I really like the old armor too. So that kind of start, I started looking into it. I started reading the book. I saw, I think the model that won me over was the Knight Heraldor. Ultimately, I saw that guy and I was like, so hold on. They just have a dude blow a horn and that's like a hero you can bring to the field. It's, it's not a unit champion or anything. It's just like a full-fledged hero that they have. And that, for some reason, that was the thing that pushed me over the edge. And I ended up getting the Battle Force <laughs> and a whole bunch of boxes and, and it's been growing since 2016. And the backlog continues. See, I've got to be really honest here. Like, you know, I always started with allies and I mentioned earlier, like I'm a Cities of Sigma player. Um, you can go back to, I went over to England to play um, on Blood and Glory and I played in, on a tournament on Warhammer TV and I was running the Empire or Cities of Sigma before Cities of Sigma. And like Stormcast to me were always like these, these allies that were kind of forced down my throat. Um, but what really got me started into actually playing an army as opposed to bringing in, you know, the competitive goodness is the new armor. Um, I'm going to be honest, yeah. the dragons got me. The minute I saw dragons, I knew they were my next army. I didn't care how many points they were. I didn't care <laughs> how many dollars they were. I was getting dragons and I've got Krondus, I've got Karazai, I've got, like, I've literally got both of them already. And I don't care, but the new armor and the new law really has got me on side. I didn't like the force-fed kind of lore initially. I hated the idea of these golden boys coming down and, you know, imposing their will and, like, clearing the mortal realms. I'm like, no, let my let my free guild guard defend the realms as well. I don't need a hero. It's not Bonnie Tyler's, you know, track here. But then kind of they've really gotten a lot of depth to their character over the last, I think, since Soul Wars to me. Since yep. Soul Wars, Soul Wars they've, got some real, yeah. they've got some real character. You know, you've got Gardas has come in. You know, you've got um, leading up to Soul Wars, there was a little narrative session you guys might remember called uh, Malign Portents. Yep. And I'll, never, 
I'll and I'll never forget the story that there was this um father and son living out in the middle of whoop whoop and um they were a little bit sick. Um and I think the dad was tendering to the child. And uh what you know, what we find out later on is they had Nurgle's rot. But the stormcast arrived, this one particular stormcast arrives to the house, and they think, Yay, he's my savior. But actually, the Stormcast are there to kill the person because they know that this is going to turn them into a plague bearer. And it was that moment where I kind of realized that Stormcasts aren't good. Yeah, they're not, yeah. they're not, they're not the the you know the be all and end all. They've got shades of gray and that and like I think I was listening to uh, one of the Hallowed Night series or whatever it might be, and like hearing Gardist yeah. and hearing like some like the lore has gotten really interesting to me lately, and and I think they've done a really good job just not to like, Hey, here's the golden warriors that kind of reclaim the realm gates. Yeah. I, I remember yeah, reading... yeah, actually. They're not, they're not lawful. Nice. That's my piece. Yeah. yeah. Lawful good. Not lawful. Nice. I, uh, I, I remember I really that story. Like reforging aspect. Yeah. Uh, no, go for it, Paul. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I remember that exact story you're referencing. Uh, I really like that one because it takes the perspective of the farmer taking care of his sick son, and it never ever gives away that he has anything other than just like a typical cold, right? This is a regular dude, and this is a regular sickness that he's probably seen a thousand times in his life, and he's he's you know he's bunkered down because there's chaos warriors all around the area that are ravaging towns. And he thinks the person knocking on the door is his salvation. And then he opens it and he describes the Stormcast as like a, I think they, it's like an ivory demon or something. Like it's it's all negative connotation as soon as he sees him. Um, and it doesn't, like you kind of infer that the Stormcast is there to kill him because he has Nurgle's Rod. Uh, it's a really well-presented story. But there's another one where, I don't remember which Stormhost, I think it was also the Knights Excelsior, but they, they go into a town that's just been ravaged by disease. And... Um, I think I think this is Knights Excelsior, and they go into this town, and the and the chief or something comes up to them and says like, "Oh, thank you for coming. We're so glad you're here." And the 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 leader, I think it's a Liberator Prime, looks around and just tells the other Liberator to close the door behind him, and that's where the story ends. Like it's just shades of gray well, all day. Well, there's another there's another one that kind of really got me, which was um, there's a book called The Cities of Secrets, which is uh, Excelsius. Um, and there's a, there's a particular story and they talk about like the free guild guard who are like defending the city. And, you know, the, the captain at the time makes a comment off an off comment saying that the Stormcast always come in and steal the glory of like the, you know, the farmers and the troops who are doing the hard work. And I think it's those types of little things that gave me the character that I, that I was really missing. I think I kind of initially, you know, saw them as like, you know, the space Marine, you know, no personality, force it down my throat but over time they've really evolved it and um i'm really excited and, and i guess that's why i'm here today to talk a bit more about why i'm jumping onto stormcast now yeah they're, they're a fantastic army from a hobby standpoint uh the lore has definitely gotten a lot yeah. better it's not just golden dudes living forever fighting demons forever it's a lot more nuanced than that it's a lot more interesting especially once you leave the hammers of sigmar and you start going into the other ones like if you guys have have checked out what's going on in the in the realm of metal with the with the celestial vindicators there, it is crazy. That is some crazy stuff that is happening there. Um, if you read Broken Realms, you'll know they they have this like fortress inside a a quicksilver volcano, and the city's been yeah. purged like five times because it keeps getting corrupted by chaos cultists. They kill like three quarters of the population every single time they do a purge. 
it's insane. Uh, but that just causes everybody to double down on their faith and they get even more relentless and zealous, zealous. It's nuts. So yeah, like, like you said, James, lawful, nice. They are not lawful. Nice. <laughs> They're lawful, good, lawful, do whatever it takes, which is sweet. Um, so we, we, we've talked about where we all went into it. Um, but that's not the point of this video. <laughs> the point of this live stream <laughs> is to give advice to people who are either getting into it or thinking about getting into it. Um, and so like starting today, if you were to start Stormcast today, what should you pick up? And I think, uh, easily the most obvious choice is one of the three starter boxes or four starter boxes i guess technically um so those are our dominion uh there's the warrior box the harbinger box and the extremist box uh, so dominion to me seems like the most obvious choice it does have the highest price point and it was technically a limited run but there's so many copies of it out there i think this video you could watch this like a year or two from now and you'd still be able to find dominion on the shelves it's pretty common mm -hmm. Have you guys looked at the other boxes though? Because I know we're, you know, we're all pretty big collectors here. But have you guys taken a look at what's included in the other boxes? I, I own extremists. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I looked at them. I think they're really good as a starter because they include. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think they include painting tools too, some of them, or like tools to start building. Am I am I wrong about this? I think there is a separate oh, little kit. There is a little kit that you can yeah, get yeah, that has yeah, a couple that, that's guys. A, that's a separate kit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think extremists. I think it's good because. If you want to start playing, because sometimes people just don't have like terrain, it gives you like everything needed to play the yep. game right there. That's that would yeah, actually it, it gives you half it gives you half the terrain from the Gurish pack. It's like the the whole fortage the whole fort with two statues. They give you half of them, so you yeah, get one yeah. statue and a whole bunch of terrain. It's quite cool. It's a really good box. It is a good value box. Yeah, doesn't have the same like model count as Dominion, but it's a good place to start if you just want to. You don't care which you play, Cruel Boys or Stormcast. Just a couple models here and there and pieces of terrain. Yeah, Can I add have... one more thing to the, to the list? Sure. This is this is probably specialized to some countries, not all countries. But a great way to get started is this little thing called the Mortal Realms magazine. So it's for Australia. I know in England, in France and Spain. I think it's coming to America soon. But it's a monthly magazine and you get miniatures like you know there's you know night in cantor and you get paints and brushes and um it's a very low cost to entry i guess if i'm you know if i'm thinking about someone getting started for the first time they might not want to drop all the cash for dominion and there are easy ways to get started you know games workshop if you have a warhammer store will often have a free um liberator or a miniature, or a, miniature of the month yeah, yeah. Yep. Correct. Is it all free Vindictor now? Free Space Marine or Vindictor? If you want to start. Correct. Game. So, so if you just want to get started and you don't, you know, you don't want to ruin your first model, you don't want to drop a lot of cash. There's a lot of really cheap entries, or there's a lot of people who have bought bought the the Dominion box for Cruel Boys that are happy to steal this film cast. So, um, there's you know that you don't have to drop a lot of cash to get started if you want to put your foot, you know, in the pond and just you know dip your toes. Alternatively, you can do what Stark Pister is suggesting in the chat and just buy eight boxes of Dracoths. <laughs> nice and easy, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, that magazine's fantastic. It, it slipped my mind because we're in Canada, it just doesn't exist. It's not a thing. And the yeah. cost of uh, buying it, the models individually on eBay, you just eat so much in, uh, in shipping, it just doesn't end up being worth it. But yeah, if you are in a, a, a country that, you know, has good shipping and has a, a trade deal with the UK, then feel free to get that magazine. It's a fantastic way to start. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I know most... I would also like to, yeah, say the Dominion box, if you 
obviously like if you can buy it at the start and you want to split it with a friend go for it but there's plenty of uh, uh ebay vendors doing the either the stormcast or the cruel boys half for i would want to say 60 to 70 bucks which is about like half the price of the box so you don't have to like buy the whole box and look for someone to sell it to definitely yep it, it's such a common box uh you know some people suggested that they made too many some people suggested it just wasn't that popular uh regardless of the reason it's really good for consumers so if you're getting into it it's a fantastic fantastic deal uh you get a ton of models in dominion and you get a good mix of stuff too you get some elite dudes some uh some basic dudes some some cool centerpieces uh yandrasta is a really really fun model to use not in the most competitive games, but she's just got great rules all around. She's not bad at anything, which is, uh, it's, I'll, a, it's I'll a good make, I'll make one more suggestion, and mm -hmm. a bit of a left ball kind of curve, is there's a bunch of the easy-to-build boxes. So if you are new to Warhammer and tabletop and you don't know where to start, or it's like, you know, it's a, it's a big stretch to go from video games to Warhammer, maybe grabbing one of the easy-to-build kits just to get started. It's cheap. You can make mistakes. You learn the hobby. Then you can go into some more of the finer kits, you know, like Indrasa, mm -hmm. for example. You Maybe you don't want to paint Indrasa first. You want to just practice on something that's a lot easier and generic. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Like, uh, McGonk, you were suggesting that smaller – or not suggesting, but you mentioned the smaller kit that's got a couple models, a couple paints, and – Clippers and a brush, I think. Yes, clippers. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, yeah, two brushes, clippers. Uh, you'll have to buy the knife separately. And at least, I want to say, all the base paints and yeah. one shade. I, so. I would even recommend that for anybody getting into Warhammer, even if you have no interest in Stormcast at all. That's just a nice yeah. little box to show, hey, do I actually like this hobby? Do I care about yeah. building models, cleaning them, putting them together, um, and then spray painting them and, and doing everything? Like, Do I actually want to do this? Because if... You know, I always tell people, if you want to get into Warhammer for the gaming aspect of it, just find something else to do. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a fun game, right? But if you if you are looking just for the game, there is a lot more satisfying experiences that you can find. The fun of Warhammer is getting models, building them, painting them, talking to other people who've done the same thing, and then sometimes also playing a game with them. That's like the whole hobby is what you got to be interested in. I think a lot of people are just going to get disappointed if they come into it just for the gaming aspect of it. So, uh, I, I yeah, I think the the Mortal Realms magazine is a great way to go uh, if you can. The easy build kits are also a really nice way to flesh out a couple of models here and there. Um, this, I think uh, a lot of people are going to get into it with Dominion or one of these starter boxes here. Of those, Dominion I think is definitely the best one. Um, the Warrior box. I'm not it's it's like a really low price point but if you're at that price point you could probably just get something else like it feels like you just don't get enough out of the warrior box whereas the harbinger box actually gives you a relevant hero yeah. that you're going to use later it gives you an elite unit and a battle line unit so that one feels a little bit better and then if you want to take one step further add some terrain on with extremists I think that's a good way to go one of those three I wouldn't personally recommend the warrior box I feel like you just don't get enough out of it yeah, I think it's literally those, I don't think those boxes are, I think like Coach pointed out, I think they're meant, to, meant for more for mileage. Like how far do you want to commit your dollars towards a new hobby? Um, you know, so it's like, yeah, if, if you know for sure you're getting to Warhammer, you're like, how do I start East Stormcast Army? That is my intention. Definitely go for Extremis and Dominion. But if you're dipping your toes into the hobby and you're like, I just want some models to paint and move around the board. How do I feel about this? I think that's really what yeah. Warriors for. And I'm, I made a video, not a Stormcast video, but it was just more of a generic video on, you know, how to start the game. 
and you know, I I I broke it down into four quadrants. I said, you know, you've got to, you've got to consider price, you've got to consider painting, you've got to consider flexibility and simplicity, right? So when I was thinking about painting, um, if I'm new to the hobby, if I am not a miniature painter, jumping into some of these really detailed kits I mentioned in Drasa earlier, but even something like from the Soul Wars box, they're a little bit more detailed than your generic Liberator. So yeah. start with something and build up your skill. If you are looking at price points, and yeah, there's a lot of cheap ways to get into the hobby. Buy it from secondhand people, buy it from split a box, um, you know, and then think about the flexibility and the simplicity. Um, how how detailed are the rules that you want to get into, or even um, how flexible the the army is, or the um, you know, is it is it specific? Is it one hero in one particular build? Like you know, do you take Gardas in? um in hammers of sigma probably not so you know like you might look for some things that are flexible first like your libs like your prosecutors like something that your annihilators that can jump into any type of list um so that's how i would think about getting started yeah well that segues very nicely into the next part so let's say uh uh, this hypothetical player uh walks into the store and the, the very generous or Generous isn't the right word. A very kind uh, Games Workshop employee pushes a Dominion box on them, right? They walk out of the store with a Dominion box or, let's say, a Harbinger box. Uh, what would you guys suggest would be the next steps? Because I, for me, I would definitely, if you really want to get into Stormcast, I think you got to go for the bundle boxes, right? There's two different star collecting boxes that we have, and we also have the Soul Wars box. And all mm-hmm. three of those are just a ton of models for, for a good price point, let's say. Uh, not all the models yes. are necessarily really useful, but mm-hmm. there's a ton of them, right? Like you can't go over, like sequiturs I think are overcosted, but they're still dudes you can put on the table. You can start playing a 2000 point game if you just get a couple of these boxes together. Yeah. In particular, um, I think I would... Soul Wars. Yes, Soul, Soul Wars, Wars is, I think, Soul Wars in my opinion is a very good box because it has some uh, key units, especially what, what I really don't like about Soul Wars though. And the reason, the only like, I like it as a box because the units, I, I think Sacrosanct Chamber looks extremely good. And, you know, if you're a slightly more, if you move past the beginner Liberator painting, painting Sequiturs is an absolute joy. I don't like the numbers in the Soul Wars box mm. at all. Yeah, I think it's very non-friendly. Like, you have eight Sequiturs and three Evocators, and now you can't run, <laughs> you can't run, like, a full unit. I guess yep. you can run five Sequiturs and be happy with that. But you can't That's run what... a full unit or two Sequiturs. Yeah, and you can't run three Evocators because you unit... Their min size is five. So, I honestly forgot about that. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. been so long. Yeah. And then you, yeah. And then you have the, uh, I want to say the Encanter, the Arcanum, and the Celestar Ballista, and three Castigators. So that's that's good because the Encanter is good. The Arcanum's fine. He's not the most competitive, but he's fine. He's a wizard. You know, you get some artillery, you get some shooters. But man, I would not recommend Soul Wars for someone looking to play a matched play game. If you're just like again looking for just hey, I want to paint some models, get into open play. Unit sizes don't matter. Who cares? Just play with your friend. But for match play, don't buy Soul Wars, in my opinion. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Soul Wars, quite honestly, to me, if, uh, on uh, reflection, is more of a collector's box. Um, mm-hmm. Thunderstrike Brotherhood. Uh, when I bought my second box, I had to realize that there's a lot of key units and uh, models in there that have been staples for the Stormkeep podcast, quite frankly. It's the only way you can get a Lord Relictor in a, in a kit right now. Uh, other than going yep. to eBay, uh, you get you get ten liberators just off the bat. Now they aren't the greatest liberator models, but quite frankly, it's a good start. 
Yep. And liberators are always good. And I think yeah. I want to say pre-prosecutors and pre-retributors. Retributors like tick me off, but they're from a time when retributors, I guess, came in size of the three or the size didn't matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you, you can definitely find two retributors uh, pretty easily to round out the squad. Uh, for a long time, they had these you like... Could, you could buy two Thunderstrike, brother. You could, yeah. <laughs> two Thunderstrike Brothers. Good, yeah. Two Relictors yeah. is good. Uh, prosecutors yeah. continue to surprise me and how often I, I like using them in competitive lists. So having two squads of that isn't bad. You'd get 20 Liberators, two Relictors, and you could just proxy Vandis as a regular Dracoth. So that would also give you a squad of Dracoths. That's, yeah, mm -hmm. two Thunderstrike Brotherhood. I like that idea. So let's so let's say uh, expanding from that concept, because um, I we could also mention all the various uh, second edition boxes that they put out that are that are like Warrior Harbinger Extremist, but they've been out of production for so long. I think they're they're rare enough at this point, and they have wonky unit sizes. I don't think they're worth discussion anymore. Um, I think yeah. the same thing will happen with Warrior Harbinger and Extremist once we go into fourth edition. Whenever that happens, they're going to phase all this stuff mm -hmm. out, and people won't be able to find it anymore. So. Um, so building off that though, let's say you you pick up one Thunderstrike Brotherhood and you've got a Dominion. Um, what what specific units do you like? That's enough points to play a game, by the way. A full two thousand point yes. game, I believe. Dominion plus Thunderstrike is two thousand points. Not an optimized list, but it is legal. You've got enough battle line in there between the two Liberators and Vindictors. You've got some pretty good choices in there. Um, but mm -hmm. where do you, where would you go from there, right? Like we we talk a lot about a lot of staples in our list. We talk about Dracoths. We talk about the Storm Drake. Um, but I think, uh, what are your guys' opinions? <laughs> what would you recommend yeah, to a new player who just has those two boxes? Uh, pick up some shooting, quite frankly. Same. I would say, uh, well, first, what I really like asking people is, like, what do you find more fun? Do you find, because I know and I, for, I start off the question by, do you like magic? And, like, do you like control or do you like aggression? And uh, they're like, what, what's your play style? And if they say, you know, I don't care, then I'm like, well, pick up some shooting units. Or if they say control, I say shooting units. Uh, if they like, you know, being aggressive and, you know, just like bashing people with hammers, I'm like, well, pick up some Annihilators throwing hammers. Um, or like, like I, I recommend any one of the hammer units, typically the cheapest one, because, you know, players, like when I tell them you have to buy this $100 dragon, they don't want to drop $100 right away, you know, but you tell them to buy maybe a box of Annihilators, that's $40, and they're like, okay, sure, I'll pick that. Now, some people may just see the dragons and say, oh, I can run yeah, this? Yeah, okay, yeah. that's it. I'm not yeah. buying any of the other stuff. <laughs> just give me the dragon. Oh, no, but then their question becomes, hey, I really want to run this dragon. Can you send me a list? Or, like, can you recommend what else to take with this dragon? Yeah, like, how many know, dragons so you should want, I... You know what you want. What, what number of <laughs> dragons is enough dragons? That's the question for that <laughs> type of person. So that person, yeah. they're good. They don't need our advice. <laughs> they, yeah. they know what they're doing. Um, yeah, I would definitely second the suggestion of picking up shooting. I think... Um, one of the things that Stormcast are best at is shooting, but it's not obvious whenever you look at the starter kit models, it's always some kind of chaff melee unit, some kind of elite melee unit, maybe something with a little bit of speed and some heroes. They never really include a lot of shooting. Soul Wars was really the only one that did, but uh, Castigators were so bad in second edition and Ballistas really fell out of favor too. So I definitely think uh, picking up Judicators, I would highly, highly suggest picking up Judicators. They're excellent. They fill battle line. They have good damage, uh, good wounds as well. And uh, if you want to get a little more fancy, if you feel like you've got the ropes a little bit, I would say Vanguard Raptors with Longstrike Crossbows are, are an excellent buy. They come with Aether Wings, mm -hmm. too, so that's a lot of points in one box. Easy to fill out yeah. your army that way. And it's probably really it's really good value. I think it's like three Aether Wings and three Vanguard Raptors for $30, $30 or $32 retail. And surprisingly it's, it's, cheap. Yeah, that yeah. box is yeah, surprisingly cheap. Yeah. 
See, I would, I would, um, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here and, and say something completely against what you've said. I would say stop. Okay. I'd say stop, pause, read your book, find a concept, build around it. I think mm-hmm. Stormcast being such a big army, it's not Iron Jaws. It's not you've got 20 odd models to choose from, you can build around everything. It's such a deep rabbit hole with so many different heroes and so many different units and a lot of units that play similar roles. I mm-hmm. think you can find yourself going down a deep rabbit hole very quickly. And for the experienced player, doesn't matter. You can find yourself out. You're, you're wise enough, being in the hobby for long enough, to be able to work through it. But as a new person picking up Stormcast, I would say look at your book, look at your uh, your storm hosts and your sub-factions, find yourself a hero, find yourself a keyword, and start thinking about what works better. Is it If you, if you want to be grabbing a dragon, you want to get yourself a monster, play down that route. If you're looking for some shooting or you love magic and you want to build around something else, I think for me, what what's driving me and building my army is a concept. And then the decision tree starts to kind of build out. Otherwise, I get into a trap of, do I build long strikes or crossbows or your adjudicators? Or am I doing like, like a million questions as a new person to, to Stormcast, I might not have the answer for it. And then I might might feel like I've made dumb purchases or poor purchases. Yeah. That, so that would, that would be yeah. my recommendation. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That, that's going to segue very nicely. I like you make segue so easy, man. This is great. I'm so bad at segues normally. <laughs> it's like, all right, we're talking and uh, let's talk about this instead. But that. Um... And, 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 and if I could just add one <laughs> sure. more. And the reason I say that is because I, I'm not trying to flex here, but I've been here since the start. When I started Age of Sigma, Liberators were the, the, the strongest unit in the game. A Knight Azeros would drop down from the sky. You teleport, you know, 30 Liberators into my backfield, ignoring coherency, into combat, and they were OP. Then there were times where Evocators were the absolute, you know, monsters. You had Prosecutors yeah. annoying the crap out of people. There was a time where Star Drakes were one of the most OP things in the game because there wasn't a lot of mortal wounds to handle a two-up, re-rolling ones, bounce mortal wounds off. And I guess what I'm trying to say is the game evolves so quickly that what your models that you've got will, will come back into fashion. What old becomes new, what's not good now will become good. What's good now will become crap at some point. Mm-hmm. So find a concept and find things that you like as opposed to meta chasing early in, early in your journey. I think early in your journey. If your goal is to go 5-0, Different story. Yep. Now, what's the old saying? Uh, rules are temporary. Cool models are forever. So just pick stuff you like. That's more important than yeah. than anything else, right? Like I'm I'm super yeah. stoked that a lot of my favorites in this edition are really good. But I had these models kicking around in the case over here for years. They never got out, and I was disappointed. But I still liked them. I never regretted getting them. I never regretted building them, painting them. Uh, anytime yeah. I would play them in a game, I, I knew I was doing something that wasn't optimal. But that's fine. I like the models. So that was all that was all I needed. And, and somebody in the chat actually why really... I'm very comfortable. Uh, it's, yeah, go ahead. No, coach, go ahead. No, no, please, no, please, please continue. Uh, no, so, so the reason uh, I'm actually very comfortable, I totally agree with what you said. You know, you should, models are forever, pick that. And that's actually the reason why I feel very comfortable recommending e- either Judicators or Vanguard Raptors. Uh, like Paul mentioned, they're not in a lot, a lot of start collecting, uh, sorry, in start collecting or like starter boxes. 
Um, they do round out your collection. They're some a unit that typically isn't seen in a lot of the Stark collecting roster, which are mostly knights bashing people with hammers and melee weapons. So it rounds out your collection nicely. You can go for the ones you like the look of. Um, and go and like you said, yeah, go through the book, look at the concept. Do you like being aggressive in their face with crossbows? Do you like that? Or maybe you like shooting them from afar? That's entirely up to you. Those rules could very easily change tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, like one of the particular reasons I'm okay recommending Judicators or Vanguard Raptors to people is because it's not a unit that can they can easily find. They have to like specifically go out and buy it. And and they're tried and tested. Like they've they've done well for mm -hmm. years, so we, we're confident in that recommendation. Now I think just call out Stark in the chat. Made a good comment. If you have a friend who plays Stormcast as well, you can always borrow some of their models if they're okay with it to test out some other armies or test out some other ideas before you make that purchase. So that um, you could always do that before you commit your hobby dollar. Yeah, it's a good idea. Everybody's got some Stormcast lying around. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wanted to mention some quick combos here, uh, building off what you were saying, Coach, with um, just ideas, things to put together, right? Like, I just wanted to mention offhand some really quick combos. I've got uh, later in the discussion here, we're going to be talking about more um, themes that you can focus an army around, but these are just quick unit combos. If somebody's looking for, like, a... A quick like oh what units should i get here's some really simple combos that we really enjoy using um first up the lord imperitant with annihilators that's tried and true You're, if you've played dominion you know how strong that is uh being able to deploy your annihilators more than seven inches away from an enemy and then doing a bunch of mortal wounds when you land and doing a bunch of mortal wounds when you charge and being able to reroll the charge and then doing a bunch of damage when you finish the charge it's great it's just a great combo um that's a fantastic combo uh, Lord Relictor with 15 Judicators, that's another really good one because the Judicators, whichever type you want to use, if you want to use the bows or the crossbows, um, having a Lord Relictor to teleport the unit into the correct firing position is a great, great combo. So that's a lot of fun to use. Not so fun to play against. So <laughs> just, you know, know your audience, right? If you're, if you're going to use that, just make sure that your opponent is okay with that amount of firepower. Um, you could go the other direction. You could go melee focus on big blobs of dudes. So you could get uh, 15 Vindictors and tie them together with Vanda's Hammerhand, who's going to give them all a bonus attack every single turn. So that's um, that's also a fun little combo that you can do. And hopefully uh, that gets better after the FAQ that may or may not ever come out. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the last one I would really recommend for, for new players would be uh, Bastion and Dracothian Guard. So Bastion really likes playing by himself and he can issue command abilities anywhere on the table and because you have to play hammers of sigmar to make the most out of bastion you can also bring dracoth as your battle line so you kind of start putting the pieces together and this makes a really simple army that's highly powered that's it's really high powered has good defenses um decent mobility decent shooting like you can make an army that's just dracoths and bastion and feel pretty good about that and we will later be talking about how to magnetize the dracoths in particular so stay tuned for that quick 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 question to all three of you then. Um, how do I get a Lord Relictor given that it was locked into the original box and it's very hard? Do you have, all three of you, do you have any advice on where where somebody could get a Lord Relictor, make a Lord Relictor that would be tournament, you know, accepted? Um, any advice here? Because, again, again, I'm thinking of a new player who, who gets started who may not mm -hmm. know where to find them or build them or what to do. If we keep talking mm -hmm. Lord Relictor, Lord Relictor, Lord Relictor. If you're yeah. just playing for um, fun, quite frankly, uh, just use the Knight Relictor as a proxy right now. That's the simplest way, yeah. I've seen yeah. 
Yeah, I've seen people who bought the Knight Vexilor kit and they'll build him with the flag or they'll build him with the Stormbringer pennant, which is, I'm talking about the $30 Knight Vexilor kit. And whatever banner you didn't use, put it on the Knight Relictor. Like, personally, like, I've seen kit bashes with the Knight Relictor with the uh, Storm pennant on him and it's like, oh, that's a Lord Relictor. Just paint, give him a skull mask. Yeah. Boom. You can uh, definitely find them on some websites, depending on the stock. I know uh, there was a big run on the Lord Relic after the Battle Tome came out. Everybody realized how good it was going to be, and uh, stock went out. But I think some websites are starting to restock that particular model because he was uh, he was part of the Mortal Realms magazines. There was one issue that just had a, a Lord Relic, and that is by far mm -hmm. the best way to get it. So if, if you can get that magazine, if you can find that issue that has that model, that's definitely the easiest way to do it. Uh, failing that... I wouldn't buy the Thunderstrike box just for the Relictor. That doesn't seem like a good use of uh, of your money. I would probably just kit bash a, a Knight Relictor instead. The other one I would say oh, is so uh, a lot of your bits traders like eBay as well as other. There's a lot of bits traders out there. I'm not going to name drop their names, but they'll often sell parts, whether it's models or um, individual bits separately. So you can always, that's how I got mine. Um, I just got it off of eBay at, at a fair price. I, I wouldn't pay uh, an exorbitant amount for a model. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I, I have a distinct memory that for a short time, Vandis was available in a box by himself and the Lord Relictor was available in a box by himself. Um, they had him labeled Vandis as... was. The Relictor wasn't. I, I just remember yeah, seeing Vandis the box was. that said Ionis Cryptborn on it and it had the Relictor and maybe that was a dream, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was real. Um I remember thinking it was weird at the time that they that they bothered cutting up the start collecting box into like $40 hero kits. I thought that was very weird, but I could be misremembering it. No, I don't I don't think that's a box. I know the Vandis Hammerhand has a box because I have a box of Vandis Hammerhand. Like that's how I got him. I never bought the Thunderstrike one. Okay. The Lord Relic I think I got off of a friend for like 10 bucks or something. It's a good friend. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, so um, another another topic we didn't really reach is uh, how big of an army exactly do you start with, right? Coach, this is building what you were saying earlier was to pick a point and then stop, right? Like we talked about which units are good to get, um, but really the first thing you got to do is, is besides picking what models you actually like, you've got to figure out, well, how committed am I to this actual hobby? Like how big of an army do I want to get? Um, do I want to start with 1,000 points? Do I want to build that up to 2,000? Do I want to jump into 2,000 points right away? Do I want something in the middle or do I want to just buy the entire collection all at once? Like some of us have done. <laughs> uh, personally, I would recommend a thousand point army as your starting point because it's, you pretty much get it with Dominion. If you get the Dominion box or if you, if you get extremists and a couple things on the side, then you've got your thousand point army right there. And then you can figure out if this game is really as fun as you, you think it is. Right. It, and it is a fun game. I don't want to disparage it, but um I just, it's a big investment, right? Before you spend more money, you should actually play the game, see if it's enjoyable. Um, and if not, maybe just focus on the hobby side of things, right? You don't have to play the game in order to enjoy, enjoy Warhammer. Um, so when you're building a thousand point army, you generally want a, some mix of melee and ranged, I think, and and some small heroes on the side, right? You don't want to just go, uh, here's, here's, you know, 30 Vindictors and that's my army. You're not going to have a lot of fun and you're not going to experience all there is in the game. So what you want to do is you want to pick one shooting unit, pick one melee unit and pick some heroes that you like. That's what I would recommend. Um, alternatively, the lowest cost way to do it is, is just to get Dominion and take Andrasta out. I think that's about a thousand points right there. And it gives you a more or less balanced army that you can have a couple of games with. Mm -hmm. 
So then building up from a thousand points, uh, you want to add another battle line unit. So this is where you know units of liberators or sequiturs or even vanquishers uh, would come in. You can add to existing units by reinforcing them, or you can just add new units to your army entirely. Um, and, and like we mentioned the unit combos before, I think it's generally a good idea to try to find at least one combo in your army that you're going to have fun with. Because Age of Sigmar is a game all about combos. If you're not using units to be greater than the sum of their parts, then you're not getting the most out of the game. If you're just moving stuff forward into the middle of the battlefield and, and you're just fighting stuff in a tar pit, it's not, it's not a very satisfying game to do it that way. Focusing on combos, focusing on strategy, I think that's where the enjoyment will come from. Um, but what about 1500 point armies? A lot of people talk about these. Um, do you guys have any experience playing that particular size or, or with people who enjoy discussing it? Because my focus is pretty much 2000 point games, right? That's that's where mm -hmm. I'm at. Uh, so I, this is a blind spot for me. It's an interesting question because um, I actually don't, I'm more recently, I mean, I think thousand points for beginners is, is a fine thing because games at those level, especially for people who are just into the hobby, uh, they tend to be casual. So they're, you know, somewhat balanced. Um, I actually like the 1500 point mark or like 1250 even because it's, it's, you know, you get that slight more leeway to start putting in more stuff than just your hero and two battle line. Um, and the games, and I, I like always, I've, I've been a part of like some slow grow leagues. And so having that 500 to 1000 to 1500 to 2000, I think is a good way to, you know, get people towards a 2000 point army without telling them, hey, here's all this stuff you got to buy. They can sort of, you can sort of take, take your time with it. So yeah, but 1500 point armies, yeah, I think, I think the concept is much the same as 2000 point, just get another battle line unit and then buy like, I don't know, like a ham hammer unit, like a paladin or something, and you're good to go, right? You make a good point, Magog, and I want to call that out, is 1,500 points are really cool to play, but it's hard to play a 1,500 point because a lot of people don't want to play you at 1,500 points. My my experience is um, a lot of the Warhammer Games Workshop type stores that are smaller in space compared to your FLGS, they will often go into that 1,500, 1,700, 1,200 points um, because of the size restriction and the amount of people they can have in the room. If you build up to a 1500 point, know that you might have to proxy or you might have to negotiate with somebody to play a game. It's just that awkward kind of space. But you may, you mentioned something a little bit earlier and that is Path to Glory. It's a slow grow campaign and it's, um, what was I going to say? There's often other things like, you know, the Tale of Four Warlords or New Year, New Army where you and your mates yeah. build an army over time so you're all kind of progressing at the same level at the same points um mm -hmm. if you have other people who want to play 1500 points i'd highly recommend it but if you rock up to your local friendly game store and say oh who wants a 1500 point game you might find that people either say give me a thousand or give me two thousand it's this weird spot that um it's not that people don't want to play it's just this awkwardness and most people are like focused on the 2000 point match play games if you are not playing with your close circle of friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think part of that is is because Games Workshop doesn't actually recognize 1500 points as a legal uh, size in Format. the general's handbook. Yeah. Uh, I think they do in yeah. the core rules, but not in the general's handbook, which is which is very peculiar. Yeah. So you start having to ask these questions like, oh, how many battle lines should I have? How many monsters can I bring? How many artillery? It's just because it's not clearly defined, you have to have more conversations with people 
And that just starts to add a tax or like a burden that you have to overcome in order to play this game mode. And people don't want that. They want to show up. It's it's like a Thursday night. Oh, I'm going to go to the game store. I'm going to bring a 2000 point army because it's really easy to just find somebody else who did the same thing. And having more conversations mm-hmm. is it's it's not good for pickup games, right? I think 1500 yeah. points is a really interesting interesting place to have in terms of game size because you can um i mean it's really broken (laughs) there's so many all the combos that are broken at 2000 points are even more broken at a thousand points and 1500 right like playing against um six raptors that are shooting you twice on the first turn you you don't come back from that in a thousand point game it's just not fun to be on either side of it Imagine I run two mega two mega gargons at a thousand thousand points. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that one on one on amulet of destiny, the other you, one rerolling saves. I, I think you can straight up run one mega gargant and still win. Like just leave five hundred points off the table and still do pretty well at thousand points. Like it's it's well, not. No, no. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like it's the two combo armies that are really good against each other and then absolutely awful for everyone else to play yeah. in the field. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a a focus for them to make sure that that's a fun yeah. format. You can tell their focus is on 2000 points and you know, that's fine. Right. But um, it's, it's just, it's hard to get up to that point right initially. You know, it's easier to start out with smaller games, smaller skirmish style games. And I think uh, like what you're saying, path to glory is, is a good way to do that, especially because it's not a, a necessarily competitive focused environment, right? If you're just learning the game and you just want to know, Oh, there's especially the third edition. There's so the rules are so complex compared to second edition. I just want to move my dudes. I want to learn how to use command abilities. Um, probably won't even use the terrain rules because that's like more complexity that's just building on itself, and you don't want to deal with all that. So Paths of Glory is a really good way to just have like, if you're Stormcast, three models <laughs> on the table, three different units. That's all you get at 600 points, uh, and then build up. You know, uh, the only issue I have with that. It's not a. It's not universally good. Like you have to coordinate it with other players. It's not well suited to go at your own pace with the hobby. Like depending on your pace, maybe Path to Glory is too fast or too slow, right? Maybe you want to just jump in and get two thousand points and go start playing pitch battles right away. Maybe other people want to get that six hundred points, paint all of it, and at their schedule, maybe that's going to take them a month. Maybe that's going to take them two months. And then uh, the problem is that other players might not want to take that amount of time, right? Because everybody's got different commitments with people have families and jobs, and this is a hobby. It's not, it's, you shouldn't be committing that much time necessarily, right? You've got other things going on. So there's pros and cons to Path to Glory as, as a way of, of going into the game. Um, I think the Four Warlords is, is probably my favorite one. You find some buddies, and some of them could be more experienced even, right? Like uh, if the four of us did it, or, or let's say uh, the three of us, and, and we found a fourth player who's just getting into the game. A four warlords type thing is really cool because it gives other players an opportunity to play an army they wouldn't normally get. And it's not a big commitment either because you never know when this whole thing's going to fall apart. You could start with, you know, 500 points, pick up a start collecting box and paint some stuff you haven't done before. Show people how to play the game, introduce them to the rules one step at a time. That's a good way to do it. And it also, community is a big part of it, right? So if if you can start an army and build a community and teach people at the same time, that's just win on all on all brackets yeah that, that right use there is the key sorry james yeah i was just going to build on that and just say um get involved with your flgs um when third edition launched paul and uh, my local store here shout out to torchlight had an escalation league where they started 750 points in the first round went up to a thousand then 1500 then to, finished off of 2000 super easy way to learn the game and um just build uh help you build lists at that point as well 
And just to explain, I, I was going to clarify for anyone who doesn't know what uh, a tale of four warlords is, and it's not restricted to four people. It's just a name that um, it's been around in Games Workshop White Dwarf since the dawn of time. But it was a concept where four players would come together and they would set themselves a budget, um, $50, $100, whatever it might be. And you incrementally over six months build up to a 2000 point army. Um, but you're restricted. So $100, I buy a box, a box, a box, a hero. Um, any money I don't spend last month, I can accumulate to get a big box the next month. And the goal is to paint the that unit or whatever you buy within the month. So um, it's a fun motivator, but more importantly to what everyone has said already, it's about that community spirit of coming together and chatting and motivating and discussing and the big goal at the end. Yeah, especially these days with things going on, um, there's just a, it feels like there's a longing for more social interaction. And uh, I think, the old, frankly, I think a lot of people, you just tell them like, hey, this is an excuse for us to hang out on a Saturday. I'm in, that's it. <laughs> like, don't care what we're doing. We could, yeah, let's let's buy some plastic and spend all our day building and painting it. That's fine. Um, the social aspect of it is such a big one. I think a lot of people are, are really For me, it's the that. biggest motivator. Yeah. For me, it's the biggest motivator because when I find myself in a rut where I don't feel like building, don't feel like playing, all I need to do is, you know, pop down to the shop, watch a pickup game, you know, go see it, go maybe like take the models I have to a tournament. I see people's armies. I see people talking about it. That makes me want to immediately go home, start building and painting. And yeah, I think, and I think that's well, he, your the community aspect of it is very important. Well, here's some shameless promotion for you, gents. I noticed in your Discord server, you've been doing a lot of hobby hangouts. And I think that's a great way, um, whether it is your, you know, the the Stormkeep, whether it is your local community, setting yourself, you know, every week at 8 p.m. on a Monday, let's all jump onto a Discord call and let's all hobby together and we can talk shop and we can talk about other things. But it's that community element while I'm building and painting. And um, you might not be able to physically go to your local store or you might not know as many people, but through Discord and through other communities like that, you can grow and um, still have that spirit. Because I know there are some people who live in small towns that they might only be a couple of players locally and they've got to travel to events. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to James for doing that. It's, it's pretty great, actually. And James, when are those hobby hangouts again? Uh, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern to 10 p.m. Eastern. Saturday mornings for me at 7 a.m. to 10 a.m., so plus five hours for the European crowd. And then I um, can't remember Saturday evening zone. It's to one, right? Eastern? Yeah, nine to one Eastern. Nine yeah, to one Eastern. Yeah. We do that one just for Australians. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the last thing I want to mention on this slide, uh, the question, should I buy the entire range of models up front? Uh, decisively, No. Do not buy, I've done this. I have done this with other armies, all right? I bought like 6,000 points of Fire Slayers and I regret it to this day because most of it is sitting right over there in that box. And uh, one of these days, I swear I will paint it, but I won't, I know I won't. Uh, don't buy the whole army. It seems like a good idea, especially if you find it secondhand off somebody on a, on a resale site, like a marketplace site. Do not overcommit to this hobby. Do not overcommit to an army, even if you love that army, right? Buy stuff as you need it. Paint stuff before you buy more stuff. And everybody is going to hear that, and they're going to go out and buy more stuff than they can paint anyway, but that's okay. That's how you learn. That's And then you'll tell someone else, and they'll do the same thing. So it's perpetuating. We've stuff. all got 
the, the that's Paul Paul's referring to to the newcomers in this hobby. It's called everyone's pile of shame. Everyone's gray pile of shame. We've all got one. The pile had one. It's a it's a pile of potential, um, <laughs> but it's over. But it's overwhelming. Is, is why we would suggest you not to buy the whole range because you look at your you know big lots of plastic and while it's great to own all these models, it's overwhelming because you've got to build them, paint them. And it mm -hmm. seems like a, a mountain too hard to climb and you'll burn yourself out. So mm -hmm. um, incremental purchases over time, you know, reward yourself as you go. Um, even like buy your troops before you buy all the heroes. Like I know you probably want to get Krondus and Karazai first, but once you've painted them and you've built up your skill, you'll realize you probably could have done a better job now that you've kind of built up that, um, that ability and you understand it a bit more. And now you're sitting there kind of painting liberators and while well, they're cool models, there's certainly no Krondus. Yeah. I actually really like that. Yeah, because I made that mistake when I first started this hobby. Um, I think I, I started around, I want to say around when Soul Wars was about to come out, I picked up the Tolerant and I started painting it. And I was, it was, it was not, my first paint job was not very good. Um, and so I had to teach myself to, you know, because I also had the Thunderstrike box and uh, um, start painting Liberators. Just, Paint your simple battle line, you know, build up your skill, and then when you'll feel more confident, you'll 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 actually see yourself improving after each liberator. By the time you get to your favorite centerpiece model, uh, it's gonna shine, and you're gonna you're gonna really enjoy it. And then, like six months later, you're gonna go back to that centerpiece model and think, oh, I did such a terrible job on this. Why did uh, I yeah, think this no, was good? I, <laughs> I sold it and bought another. <laughs> You learn so, but 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 you learn so much. Like when you start mm -hmm. painting Stormcast and you start painting like you know Thunderstrike armor, you learn where the contours are. You know the best yeah. angles to start hitting. You know whether it's dry brushing or edge highlighting. You understand um, not to glue the head on the armor. You paint the head separately, and you learn all these little tricks as you go. And then you you know you rush through your, your favorite heroes, and while it's cool you do regret it. You're like, I could have done a better job if I saved it up towards the end. So that's probably the other piece. Yep. And then you get into a cycle of rebuying models you've already painted and the backlog grows because it's like harder to justify painting a model you've already painted. And it just, yeah, like there's a reason you can find good deals for Warhammer. You find whole armies at a time listed. It's because people fall into this trap, right? They, they bite off more than they can chew and that's they sell off their pile of shame and that's great like you can buy another person's pile of shame just make sure it's not adding to your own pile make sure that you know 2 years later you're not going to be the one selling it again <laughs> okay Definitely, so yeah. let's talk about um uh i wanted to do a different slide first but we're on it so we'll do it um so casual versus competitive game so i make it no secret that my focus is on 2000 point pitch battles uh, that's not the only way to enjoy the game. That's not the only way I enjoy the game, frankly. I, I think it's a lot more fun when you play it casually. You just you mess around. You don't bring optimal stuff. You don't bring the strongest combo you can just because you can. I think that's a way more fun way of playing the game. Um, and first edition was great for that, especially because you could you could handicap yourself as well. Um, going a little off topic here. Um, so let's talk about um, thematic armies versus tournament armies, right? So Coach, what you were saying earlier uh, really resonates with me and that you pick a concept and you build around that, right? And that's what I would call a thematic army, right? It's like, I like these models. I like this particular sub-faction because reason. It doesn't have to be because they have good rules, because they're pointed well, um, whatever reason you think of, right? Like I'll, I'll constantly reference my love of chariots 
and I want to build an army with, with four chariots in it. I don't care how I make it work. I just want four of them because they're cool, and that's enough for that. Is that a good tournament army, though? No, <laughs> probably not. Probably not a good tournament army, um, but that's fine. See, right? I, would, I, would, I would challenge you on that. I would okay. challenge you right there because what is a tournament army? Hmm. And and I think there's this, you know, when you break down a tournament army, for, for a lot of people who go to a tournament, and, you know, I really want to break down the stigma here, people think tournaments are these big win-at-all-costs, you know, cutthroat if you if you see like an old person, I'm going to push them down the stairs, you know, that type of build. But for most people, you're just going to an event, playing with your war dollies for two days and hanging out with cool people like you. Oh, yeah. There I is can... probably – there's there's 10% of people who want to win the event. And yep. in Age of Sigma, the prizes aren't that big. You're not going to be going pro and you're not winning a million dollars. It's not Magic the Gathering. So when you say tournament army, if you want to run the chariots – Absolutely, you could as a tournament army, but you've got that understanding of what's my potential of winning all of my games yeah. or why am I going to the tournament. So I just want to clarify that. If you want to run chariots, you do you. Right. You can build a, a, add, you can build a yeah. good list. I also want to add, like, GTs are not the only tournaments. Tournaments are plenty. You will find tournaments at the Games Workshop store at your local LGS. You know, you have these three-game tournaments. And these are not people who are bringing just the highest S-tier cutthroat list. These are people who are just, you know, maybe putting a bit more extra power. So if in a casual game they're bringing, I don't know, three, you know, just liberators and maybe one unit of retributors, maybe they'll bring another unit of retributors. So if you take that three-chariot list or you take some funny concept, you could come out of left field and come, like do two one or three oh really easily like it's it's not impossible well it's very probable. and i know and i know you weren't referring to that but i wanted to just clarify yeah. it because you know someone might have a thematic idea and they're like oh it's not one of the tournament lists well you can go to a tournament with an army and do the best you can with what you've got mm -hmm. if you're enjoying it yeah it, it depends on what you want to get out of it right if your goal is to take first place that's a very different goal than to try to do as well as you can with the units that you like Right. So I, I, I phrased it in this way to be misleading on purpose, because I feel like there is a stigma between uh, like narrative fluffy lists. It almost sounds like a like an insult to call a list fluffy, right? To use the units that you care about and to write stories for them. It almost feels like people have a use it as a pejorative, but it's not right. Part of the fun is optimizing, at least for me, optimizing whatever concept you have, right? Like if I wanted to use Celestin Prime, I could make a killer Celestin Prime list. Is it going to 5-0 at every GT? Maybe not, but I could make the best version using him as the core concept, right? So tournament armies are, I would say, you're trying to win. That's the goal, right? At the cost of everything else, um, that is the goal with your list, is to be as powerful as possible, have the best matchups possible, try to take the best general. That's the goal of a tournament army. Whereas a thematic army is something more like, okay, I like picking Tempest Lords, and I'm going to try to fit as many flying units in there as possible. I'm going to use Prosecutors. They're going to be my forward units. I'm going to have some Drakes behind them, and maybe I'll even bring, like, a Wizard who's going to cast the Levitate spell on another unit. Like, Krondis. Uh, Krondis can't. But let's, let's pretend we had good Wizards who could cast Levitate regularly. Uh, you can start <laughs> fitting them into that concept. Um, let's say you wanted to uh, build a Stormkeep list that's, like, shield wall after shield wall after shield wall, and then you bring in some, some Cities with Sigmar artillery to sit behind it and pepper the enemy and and like you're trying to defend a castle, right? That's that's the kind of thing I would di differentiate between thematic and tournament, right? I, I don't like the idea that 
just because you're optimizing that inherently makes it a tournament army and just because you're you're using good units like you know just because you have raptors doesn't mean it's a tournament army they're a very strong unit and they're a staple in tournament armies but you could be using them for thematic purposes right so yeah i, I think uh another big thing to discuss is like do you play at home or do you play pickup games at a store right if you're if you're just playing at home like if you're playing with your son or your daughter, or your wife, or you just have friends coming over and hanging out in your basement, that's going to create a very different kind of atmosphere in gaming than if you were to go to a store that has, you know, three or four regulars, and you guys are all good friends, and maybe you go out for a drink afterwards at the pub right next door. And uh, that's a little different. And then do you play at a bigger store? Are there maybe 20 people who show up for a game night regularly? Like, all of these are very different environments, and it's something you got to consider when you think about what you want your hobby experience to be. So... Um, when I started playing Warhammer, it was really small pickup games at Games Workshop. I would just go there with whatever Lizardmen I had painted at the time. And uh, I think the first event I ever went to was was before they had points in the game. We just had like a, a War Scroll limit. So you could pick five War Scrolls and they could be anything, right? So I picked uh, what I thought was good at the time. I picked uh, Lord Croak, I picked a Bastilladon, and I picked like some other nonsense, I don't even remember. And my first game, and I thought I was like a boss, right? Like, oh, look at this thing, this is gonna be good. My first game was against four high elf dragons in a battalion. <laughs> and it was wild. Like I, I was going in there and like having little tiny skirmishes and then I, I go to an event at the same store and it's just completely different experience, right? Um, so I think that's definitely something people gotta consider when they, when they think about their hobby. Like, what are you actually trying to get out of it? If you're not trying to be a 5.0 GT player with your name on the on the what ranking system do we even use? BCP. Depends on which country BCP. and where you are. Yeah. yeah. If if you're not trying to be on top of the ranking system, if you're if you're if that's not your focus, like if that happens, cool. But if you're not trying to do it, then why do you concern yourself with it? Right. You you can just focus on the things that you enjoy in the hobby. Um, playing pickup games is a legitimate way to just. That could be everything for you. You don't have to go to events. I'd also, I'd also tell you to set your expectations. If you're picking up Stormcast for the first time, and you pick up, I know you've got uh, net lists on on here. You know, uh, if I've seen a, a really good player do well, and you know they went five and O, or they went three and O at a, at an event, you can't just buy their list and and expect the same results. You know, the list doesn't get you performance. It's the micro decisions. It's the way that you play that's going to ultimately get you a good result. There's been plenty of stories already in AOS 3 where a good player with a bad army has still generated a good result, which is why I kind of challenged you at the start to say you could still do it with chariots. Um, now, it, is it optimized? Is it tailored to be the best list and the most value you can get out of your 2,000 points? Probably not. And that's part of the challenge with, say, the um, the Soul War stuff is I think a lot of people, and I think your podcast included, you've mentioned that's probably not the best value for points. You know, if you're trying to really optimize, you'd go Liberators, you'd go um, something else. But yeah. you can still do well. I think that's the key, right? Like find your mm -hmm. army, find your concept. And remember, at a tournament, it's usually only one person that goes 5-0. and oh. Like everyone yeah. else is going to lose at some point. So... For most people, their goal is just to win more than they lose, which would be three wins, two losses at a two-day event. Yeah, I, I think a realistic expectation for somebody at their first event is to just finish the event, 
don't leave early. Don't get discouraged. Just sit through it and have fun. Because, um, you know, you might have a really bad first game. You might find some really power player. Like you said, only about 10% of the players at tournaments are actually trying to win. Everybody else is like just a dad or or a college kid who's got the weekend off who wants to uh, just hang out and roll dice. Like that's that's definitely been my experience at tournaments is most people are not there trying to win. They are just there to spend the Saturday or Sunday or whatever day. Um, and, and you know, maybe it's your first event and you, you happen to get a bad roll in seating and you find some who's some guy who's going to table you to turn one, right? Fine, whatever. Don't leave early. That's, it sounds silly, but I, I, I know people who have done this and they regret it. Um, I know people who have just, it's just such a, it's just a shock to the system. You know, you, you think you understand what you're doing and, and this player just completely wipes you out before you even have a chance to move your models. It's really discouraging. So the first goal I would say, if you're attending an event is just finish the event. That's an accomplishment in and of itself. Just meet people, talk to people and, and socialize, right? Um, from there, you can work up to say, okay, well, I've, I've lost, you know, three games. Let's try winning one game at my next event. That should be the next goal, right? Go one and two. And then from there, try to go a little bit better. Go, you know, two and one. And, and that's good enough, honestly. You don't need to try to win all three games every single time you go to an event. But if you are playing at events, we could definitely have a little discussion about this. Because um, a lot of people ask, well, where do you find events? How do I actually start going to this stuff? I'm interested in this sort of thing. I want to... Um, enjoy the social aspects of it. I want to try enjoying the competitive aspects of it. I want to try to win. I want to try to just play against other players. Um, what, how do I start? What do I do? Um, so how do you guys find events? What's your, your avenue for, for looking for um, places and, and events to play at? Keep up with my local game stores, see what they're doing on their websites, their socials, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. word of mouth. Yeah, in my experience, Word of mouth is definitely the big one. Um, go to your local game store and yeah, like like the community, just making more friends in this hobby, whether it's online or through you know meeting them in person at the local game store is so important because that's really you're going to be organizing tournaments with these guys. These are these are the guys you're most likely going to be playing with. So if you're talking about Warhammer, you're talking about tournaments. That's that's going to be an obvious point in conversation. When that happens, and obviously uh, now that GW's open up their events again, Warhammer community is a good spot. Um, and there's a few Twitter accounts that I learned to follow most particularly. I want to say uh, it's Dan underscore AOS shorts. He posts a lot about upcoming tournaments across the United Kingdom, Europe, USA. So that's a good resource to just know what tournaments are out there and, you know, see where you can go and where they are and whether you have the means to get there. Yeah, the iOS shorts would be a good one I would call out because they've also developed a um, a calendar as well, so you can kind of see mm -hmm. what's coming up. Um, very similar to James as well. You're in Australia, especially. Uh, I can't speak for all other communities, but where I live, um, a lot of our events and our communication is happening through Facebook. So we have like you know um, local scenes as well as our um, our national Facebook group, and a lot of the tournament organizers will post in advance. Um, when tickets are going on sale. And um, we've actually even created an Australian calendar. So as events get announced, you can kind of start to see when and where, and you know, if you're willing to travel or if you're just looking for some of those locals. Um, alternatively, um, you know, Twitter, um, Warhammer Weekly, I know announces a lot of them. Um, you know, just get yourself involved in the community and um, you, you'll find them. Yeah, 
uh, Andy in the chat asks, uh, most tournaments have tight time limits. How do you know you're ready for your first one? That's an interesting question. Um, it Because when you're learning the game, you're taking your time, right? Round one is like three hours of the game. <laughs> you're deploying, yeah. you're trying to figure out, you're referencing rules constantly. Um, my advice would definitely be play at your own pace. Don't worry about going too fast. Um, if you're if you feel like you're going to hit the time clock, that's fine. You're going to get faster. You'll you'll you won't have to reference things constantly. You'll get quicker with the rules. I really would not concern yourself with the time. Age of Sigmar is not such a cutthroat game that people are going to bring chess clocks and time you out. People are very friendly and they're very welcoming. So I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Um, but if you feel like you're playing really slowly, that's definitely something to work on. Do you guys have any tips on how to get quicker at playing? Play more. Play as much as you can, quite frankly. Uh, Warhammer, Age of Sigmar, and the Stormcast. A lot of rules, man. A lot of rules to remember. Uh, the only way that I, the only way I found out to sort of get good at that or at being able to increase my pace was just playing more and more games. I remember my first games with you, Paul. Lasted about five hours, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was a long Saturday. Yep. Yeah, I would say that Age of Sigmar, despite being way less complex than uh, Warhammer Fantasy was. Uh, it's still, like, at the end of the day, Warhammer is just a more complex game, game than what people are used to. And I think a get way to, like, sort of speed up your play is to, yeah, play more games. You know, there'll, there'll come a time where after maybe three, four, five, six, whatever, however many games, you're just not looking at your battle tome as much because you just know what everything does. And that's when you know, like, if you can, if you... The more you realize that you're using your battle tone less and less or referencing to it less and less, you'll know you've reached that point. That being said, unless you're at the top tables in like the top eight cut at LVO or something, don't worry about time all that much. It's not that important. Like people aren't going to like yell at you at tournaments for, you know, referencing something in a book. It's not something that's like taboo or anything like that. Uh, I've generally seen games go maybe a couple of battle rounds, three battle rounds, and both players have these huge armies with lots of models to move and lots of decisions to make. And it ends in a draw, or like it ends with whoever has the higher points at the time. And there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to, you know, be like, it's not like, oh, I have to finish five battle rounds in the allotted time. There's no overarching pressure like that, I think. Yeah. So I think uh, unless you're like really at top and people are using chess clocks, I think you're fine. So my advice to you is um, when is it, when do you know if you are ready for a tournament? The answer is now. Um, yeah. A tournament yeah. and signing up to a tournament is a great deadline. If you are somebody who needs to paint your army, you need to learn to play the game, and there is a tournament coming up in a few months' time, boom, sign up, and you've got yourself a goal. You now need to paint every day to get your army painted. You need to practice every week and maybe get multiple games in to make sure that you feel confident. I would call out AOS Reminders, which is a free website. You can get a paid subscription, and that gives you a lot of benefits. But the key thing it does is it, you can enter all your war scrolls and all your rules, and it will spit out a couple of cheat sheet pages by phase. So in the hero phase, it'll tell me these are the spells that I can cast, this ability for this particular hero, this type of unit. At the start of the movement phase, I can do this. At the end of the movement phase... So it's a good little kind of guide. So you're not like constantly flicking through your battle tome and constantly jumping between pages. Um, the other one I would say to you is pick armies and pick models that are less complex. So maybe you start as a storm keep, not a science of the storm, because you're walking up the board as opposed to, you know, when, you know, who do I put into reserve and when and where and 
Um, so try to find the simplicity in your army. And then as you build up with your experience, then build in the complexities of the army. So everyone's on their own journey. Um, you, you guys have nailed it. No one's going to yell at you, but there is an expectation that you are completing your games. So consider practice and, you know, making sure you get a couple of games in. And probably the other piece of advice that I, I give to some some of the people that I coach is um, don't chop and change your army. When you chop and change your army too often, um, like you, you're, you're adding models and removing models because you're not happy with them, you don't get into the rhythm that you guys are talking about. So you need to learn them and you, if you can get some repetition with the same list, you'll refer to your book less. Yeah, Stormcast in particular are, are a really good army um, for not having slow play because we have small unit sizes generally. The biggest the biggest unit we have is 15 models, right? Nothing gets above that. And uh, we don't have to end up using movement trays. That's definitely something I would recommend. If you're playing a, an army with lots and lots and lots of models like Soul Blight Grave Lords, or uh, if, you're, if you have a bunch of Witch Elves, if you want to be courteous, it might be a good idea to use some uh, some movement trays just for yourself too. And like, it's, it's just a good idea. Um, you can easily get them 3D printed. Lots of places have them. I think Games Workshop makes some too yeah. that are okay. They're good enough. They um, made some for Apocalypse. I don't, I'm not sure if they still sell them, no. but yeah, they might yeah. have them. Yeah. The other one as well is um, uh, something that's been really helpful for other people, including myself, is to draw up your deployment, um, draw out your deployment and your ideal deployment. Because yeah. I find a lot of time is wasted trying to work out where do I put my models and where do I build the synergies? And if you can draw out a couple little maps and say that in the ideal situation, I've got my Vindictors here and there's this hero that supports them and I'm going to put the dragon on the flank and you start drawing that out, when you actually get to the table, it just becomes really quick. That's a very good point. Yeah, I think, I, I can't believe I never actually noticed it, but yes, for newer players, I would say, yeah, deployment definitely takes uh, a lot of the time because there's a lot of decision-making. You know, you want to figure out where your units want to go, where your elite stuff wants to go, where your heroes wants to go. And yeah, mapping that out in your mind or maybe on a piece of paper, have, have it, you know. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Like pre-planning deployment. If you've built your 2,000-point list with synergies in mind, you know, I'm going to have the, the Nitrocodus with my Stormdrake Guard. Cool, we'll just draw a little map that shows you, would you have your Stormdrake Guard at the front or the Draconis or would it be 12 inches difference or like between them? Like just get a couple of ideas in your head um, and that's all, that's all practice games do is it just gives you a little bit of experience. So when you t get to the table, you've got some references to call from. So that'd be my advice, especially for someone who's newer, just to get some experience. A big part of deployment is, is counter deployment, knowing what your opponent is doing, knowing their threat ranges, but that's, that's definitely a more advanced thing, right? If you're, if you're new at the game and you're trying to figure out how the heck to use your army, just do what you think would make sense for you to do. If you don't know what the opponent's army it does, the only way to learn is by is by doing it, right? So just focus on yourself, focus on doing what you're doing the best you can, and you will learn your mistakes as you go along. Um, you'll understand what your opponent's army is doing. That's why that's one of the reasons why we started the How to Counter Everything channel or uh, series. How to Counter Everything <laughs> series uh, is because we want to just explain what other armies are doing because there's such a a well just an endless well of, of knowledge that you can go through with Age of Sigmar, understanding how all the different models work, all the allegiance, how they interact with each other. So don't worry about any of that if you're starting out. Just put your Vindictors up front, put your important units behind them, move up the board, fight stuff, learn as you go.
So let's have let's have a quick chat about um, just prepping for tournaments in general, right? Like we've talked about going to local events, but uh, let, let's talk about going to GTs, right? Uh, I would personally be looking at best coast pairings for these sorts of things. Uh, there could also be local sources that you'd be looking at as well, just like Facebook groups, uh, local stores might have community boards, things like that. Um, but you gotta, there's a lot of questions that that people don't think about when they think about going to GTs. Things like, does the event have painting requirements? Well, how much time do I have to paint? Uh, when do I have to submit my list? When am I locked into all these things? Um, like, how far is it? How far am I willing to go? Am I willing to cross a border? Uh, can I cross a border right now? <laughs> uh, is it, you know, on the other side of Australia? Like, how far of a drive is that? That's nuts, man. Um, there's there's a lot of questions that, that people don't consider. Um, how are you going to transport your models? That's a big one, right? Because if you're if you're driving in a car and you're on a bumpy road, that stuff is going to just shatter if you don't protect it properly. Right? All elvish armies, really, like oh. anything with elves in it. Stormcasts <laughs> yeah. are really bad for this. We have all these pointy bits, right? Like I, I was using a foam yeah. case for a little while. And uh, in addition to the paint rubbing off, there's just constantly little broken bits everywhere. Backpacks, helmets, uh, sometimes shoulder pieces are just missing and broken. Like everything just snaps off with foam. I had to eventually... Uh, move over to a magnetic case, which I really, really enjoy using. Um, so, so, yeah, what do you guys think about uh, GTs? What's been your experience with them? And do you recommend them to players as, as a form of enjoyment of the hobby? Would you say to a new player, like, hey, man, you should go check out this, this two-day event. Would you recommend them? Absolutely. Like, like, like Coach said, go to a tournament and have fun. Like, like, and like you said, most people there aren't playing at the top of the top levels. I think you'll just have fun meeting new people, talking to them about Warhammer, you know, seeing these beautifully painted armies, you know, discussing everything from armies to strategy to painting techniques. You know, uh, most of these events also have some sort of like painting display going on. They have little booths set up to where you can paint new models or try new techniques or try an airbrush. You can watch other professional artists do their thing. It's just, it's, I think, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's like a quintessential sort of Warhammer experience. You know, you don't have to be, the most competitive player, you and like Coach said, you can do well enough with a thematic army. But yeah, I think it's definitely something every Warhammer player should uh, try and experience at least once. How about you, Coach? What do you think about GTs? Would you recommend them? Uh, I am like an addict. I have traveled to England to play in a tournament. I have gone to America and played at Adepticon. Um, when borders open up, I'm probably going to maybe, um, I'm looking at something like the Warhammer Open in Austin, potentially 2022. I'm looking, I've got a little travel fund um, that I've been, so because Australia has been, you know, quarantined off the world for a good 18 months. So I've been putting money away every every week or every fortnight to um, to build up a hobby fund, so that when borders are open, I can travel to tournaments without impacting my family um, or any other holidays. I can selfishly say I'm going to Texas, and my wife goes, "Well, no, we we want to go to Malta." But to answer your question, tournaments. My very first tournament, I was invited by a bunch of friends. And um, I had never gone to tournaments. I was always a local guy. I played locally. And um, my mates wanted there for the camaraderie. So I went to a tournament and um, I had a really good experience. I didn't know anybody outside my mates. But through five games, I got to know people in the community. I, got, I made sure to introduce myself and just meet other people. But then the interesting thing that happened was that I went to the next tournament and there were familiar faces. And 
those relationships built over time to now that I've got people who are friends, people who I can call upon, people I can now stay at their home when I travel internationally and domestically. YouTube channel aside, these people have now become friends and um, it will be awkward the first time, but you'll get to, you know, you got to remember, you're at a Warhammer tournament, we all like Warhammer. If nothing more, we all like one thing together, and that's Warhammer. And we can talk about our games. You can talk about your experiences. We can compliment each other on our levels of hobby and ask people, you know, what what they're up to or what's their next event. And um, it really does build like a snowball. So, um, again, they're not like these crazy whack win at all costs. You know, everyone's going to be mean to you and, you know, just want you to die really quickly. I find a lot of people are actually really forgiving on the table as well. You you forget a rule and they go, oh, it's okay. You can go back um, again. Mm. You know, yeah. We're, we're mostly there to roll roll dice and have fun and have a few beers and just you know talk Warhammer. I am going to correct you on one thing. We don't just have one thing in common. We all love Warhammer and we all hate Lumineth. Wow. <laughs> all right. All right well, well, if for settlers gain, we're not. I, I don't mind my one in four Luminous. I am thinking Crondescend um, and Techless for the five up bubble, but. Um, oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, God. Oh, goodness. Yeah. That looks great. Speaking of netlists. <laughs> But my, can, can, I just, can I just ask one, yeah. more, one more quick thing? You mentioned travel because I don't drive um, to tournaments. I fly. So I fly, as I've mentioned, internationally and domestically. I find the Crusade carry cases, as an example, are really good for carry-on luggage. So I'll put it on, you know, I won't put my, my models in check-in because every time I hear about people doing check-in luggage, their models are destroyed. I carry on. I put it up on the shelf. Um, and my armies travel really well. Just got to measure up the size. There's a there's a standard size that those um, uh, the bays above you are, and as long as it doesn't kind of exceed that bay limit, um, you'll be right to go. Mm -hmm. Now I'm assuming that that's a magnetized case you're talking about there. No, nope, no, no, oh, the one that you buy. Just the foam case that you buy okay. at Games Workshop. I've travelled with Forge World. I've travelled with big monsters, small troops. Stabby units that are easy to break. And in most cases, because I'm holding it and I'm in control, I, I've almost never had a break. Okay. Maybe I'm really unlucky. <laughs> I just assumed it was common. Oh, I mean, some I, things will break. The, yeah. I'm a fan of the uh, some of the thinner magnetic cases for this reason. I think uh, there's one called A-Case, and it's thin enough to where I can slide it in uh, under the seat in front of me Ooh. in airplanes. So I don't ever check it in. I just slide it in, but, and it's good to but go. But is it tall enough to hold storm drakes? That's the uh, real question. Yes. Because How it many? Just, it comes with like these... Uh, well, you can set... The shelves are all customizable. So you, whatever okay. armor you're bringing, you can set it according to whatever height you're trying to bring. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of that one. Um, yeah, I would, I would never... a fan of battle... Yeah, but it's tough to check it in, especially with magnets, because uh, I had a battle foam case for a bit, like a Magnarak. Um, and it's like, you don't want to check it in because if it gets moved about, you know, really like jerked about, then they might come off their bases and get destroyed and you don't want that. Now, when you guys travel, do you bring super glue along with you? Like if you're, if you're going on a plane, they might not let you, but um, definitely bring some super glue. It, you never know what's yes. going to break. Even if you have the best case in the world, even if uh, you just have like a vacuum container, 
that exists and just, <laughs> it hovers in space through magnets, right? Still bring super glue because even transporting it's not transporting it's one thing, but when you get there, sometimes people will pick up your models and they'll break them. Sometimes you'll uh, you know flick your wrist and some things will break. So definitely bring super glue with you to events. Little tip. Yep. Um, so buying netlists. Um, would you guys recommend buying a netlist? Uh, well, I guess I'll explain what the concept is. A netlist is a list you find on the internet. Very uh, self-explanatory. Uh, but a lot of people like that because it gives them an idea to shoot for. It's like, oh, I want to play Stormcast. Here's a list that went 5-0 at a GT. Obviously, this is a good list, right? Because it, uh, theoretically, a, a bad list shouldn't go 5-0, right? But that's obviously not true. We've seen a lot of armies that are low tier do really well because they get piloted by really good players and sometimes they get good matchups. Um, but is it, would you consider it like a bad thing to do to get a net list or would you uh, recommend it? Or, or what are your thoughts on net lists in general? Start with you, James. Um, I'd say you have to be careful, quite frankly. Um, it depends on what you're shooting for. Uh, so like, let's say we're talking hollow strike right now. It's a pretty good control list, quite frankly, but at the same time, uh, Paul's made it known, and I know from experience at this point, that it's not an easy um, list to execute, quite frankly. You could fall behind really quickly early, and um, if you're not reacting appropriately, so at the end of the day, it's uh, sure you'll get the models to collect towards it, but uh, if you're not honed enough in uh, knowledge of the game, then you could fall uh, might not be the greatest investment. See, my concern is like I would say, uh, no, don't netlist if you can. I would say build, go for some combo that you like in the book and build towards that. Um, the problem with netlisting is things could change like that. Uh, and I'll admit this: the first list that I ever built, like the, I would say, like after I got that corn versus stormcast box, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna build a list for a tournament. I went on the internet, I looked up Dan AOS Shorts' entire like. Twitter profile looking for lists. The first competitive list that I built was Gabriel Shorehart, two units of four, 20 sequiturs, two units of five evocators in Cleansing Phalanx. And that list is terrible now. <laughs> because you've got new coherency rules, evocators have lost two inch reach, uh, Gabriel Shorehart no longer does his deep strike plus three charge. Uh, 20 sequiturs, I don't even think is possible anymore. No. I think only you can take max 15. Yeah. Uh, so a cleansing phalanx is no longer in play. So if I if I if so if you did that net list and you enjoyed that army for a year, great. You enjoyed painting those models, great. And you know if you don't regret it, that's fine. But know that it could very well just change, and that net list may not even be like a legal list. You know, much less competitive is a whole another question. It may not even be legal. So just keep that in mind. So it's better to go for concepts and you know models you like versus just pure net listing. I, don't, I, I think you can take inspiration from a net list, see, oh, okay, this list is running this combo. Maybe that's something I want to implement on a shorter scale in my army, but not something you want to just be like, okay, these are the boxes I'm going to go out and collect. I like what Modnar is saying in the chat right now. Netlist could possibly push you into a play style that's not for you. Um, yeah. I'm definitely, I definitely feel that experience after playing Hall Strike right now. Yeah, very powerful list, but it is not the most engaging to play. Like, it could be really fun to play in competitive tournaments against other shooting armies, but if you're playing against another melee army, you're like, well, I, I've played this match, I know how this goes. You're going to walk up to me, I'm going to screen it, I'm going to shoot you and countercharge you, and okay. Like, it's, Let's just, if you're playing casually, quite frankly, it's not fun 
to be the player who's playing against it. Yeah. Yeah, you want to find an army that fits your play style, and a lot of that usually comes down to picking models you like, right? Because models typically do what, what they look like they do. So if you like the way a model looks, you'll generally like the way it plays as well. So you might find a list that's uh, some 5-0 Seraphon list that uses a bunch of weird stuff like like Gotrek and um, the, the Vendensed Witch Hunter Lady. And, you're, and you mm-hmm. might think, oh, this is really strong. I want to get all these. And then, you know, like Morgonk was saying, it might get nerfed. Or, or like James uh, is pointing out here, just might not suit your style, right? Like these, there's just because you see a list and just because the list does really well, doesn't mean you're going to like how it does it. And it also doesn't mean you're going to understand how it does it. Like there's a lot of really subtle rule interactions. That's the key. That's the key. You can pick up an internet list, uh, but you don't know the micro decisions. You don't know which of the units that are being deployed in combination. You don't know which are the ones being set up in reserve. You don't know who's holding the objectives. I like to look at I, – I, look, I'll admit it. I love internet lists. I will look – one of my favorite times is a Monday morning in Australia where I get to wake up and see the, the top, top 10 lists across the world. And what I like to do is I look at the trends. So I don't look at individual lists. I look at the trends to go, right, well, of the Stormcast list right now, Hammers of Sigma is doing really well. Hallowed Heart – I Hallow Heart. Um, Hallowed Knights is doing really well. And then I ask the question – why? Why is it they're doing well? I noticed that Gardas is in those Hallowed Night lists, so giving a five-up ward. Okay, cool. I'm seeing Gardas often. I'm seeing a lot of people with, you know, paladins, or I'm seeing some type of build, and I start to see some of those trends, and that, and that might inform my decision. But will I go out and pick, you know, the the list that went first at a, at a big event? No. Uh, but can you learn things and kind of speed up your thoughts? And could I find these people on Twitter or Facebook or in the, on the Stormcast groups and say, hey, would you tell me more about these lists? Um, that's part of what I do on my channel. My channel is literally finding people who do really well and say, tell me what you're thinking so I can learn from you. Yeah, I love the interviews you've done for Stormcast. Um, all the guests you've had on talking about it has been, I, I, it's things that I wouldn't have thought about. It's, it's a perspective on the game that I wouldn't have necessarily had. There's some things I don't agree with, obviously. <laughs> um, and, and that's it, you know. I, I, there is no silver bullet to Warhammer. I had Joel McGrath from um, the Measured Gaming crew, and his th- thoughts and ideas were very different to know. And um, it was a great discussion to hear both of them. And then you can listen to both and go, right, well, I agree with this, I disagree with this. I still think there's value in this particular model. Just because a talking head on the internet says something's good or bad doesn't make it true. You know, we're all biased and I play a very counter counterplay. I hate being aggressive. I hate dropping first. I like to look at how my opponent moves and then I respond and I try to outplay them. While some people like to just get the drop on you and kind of crush you as quick as possible. Or some people like the monsters. Some people love the magic. Some people love the shooting. We all have a, a, a preference. My God, you are so good at segues because next we're talking about thematic Stormcast armies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we move on there Paul we have a question from Ox King any recommendations for a good style of Stormcast list for tournaments if you're new uh, six long strike raptors four fulminators three squads of liberators relictor and whatever heroes you like like quickest easiest thing like we're, we're talking about not doing netlist right but these units are so easy to use um, they're really really powerful and really easy to use probably not good for the game that they are that powerful and that easy to use um mm-hmm. but yeah that's, that's I, kind I would of... even say i would even say like if you're like a newer player just like 
take a bunch of Indictors and take at least one hammer unit. For a newish yeah. player, it, that can be a shooting hammer, it can be yeah. a melee hammer. Yeah. You'll do yeah. well. You'll do, you'll do fine. Pick a melee hammer, yeah. pick I... a shooting hammer, pick support heroes. That's it. Yep, have something that you do. It will defend quite well on an objective. Some something that can support with some mortal wounds. Um, there is a lot of armor, uh, high armor saves at the moment, and your combat won't be able to cut the mustard. So, whether it's judicators, whether it's going to be long strikes, whether it's some type of you know mortal wounds, um, and get yourself a nice little hero. Yeah, one of the cool things about Stormcast is that we have so many units that fill almost the same role that if you don't happen to like one of those units, you have another one like right over there that's willing to do the same thing, right? So if you uh, really want to use some kind of shield wall unit, but you don't like the way, for some reason, uh, Vindictors look, well, you've got Liberators, you've got Vanquishers, you've got um, Sequiturs, you've got so many choices for more or less the same role. And there's different niches and different uh, pros and cons to each one. But yeah, there's, there's so much variety in the Stormcast list. You can really just play what you like. I like the way this model looks. Cool. You can make a list around it. Except for Vanquishers. Don't use Vanquishers. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Vanquishers are great. Um, they're really sick models, and I think if you use them, you're not, you're not handicapping yourself significantly by using them, right? Like, we rate them poorly, but that's because we're focused on, on optimizing, right? And they're not optimal. But they're not objectively bad. It's like it's better than not spending points at all, right? Yes. Ox King, did you do any sick conversions with uh, your fulminators like you did with your grand hammers? I would love to see that, man. You, your kit bashes are fantastic. All those yeah, sick uh, night haunt flames that you put on them are just great. Um, so let's talk about thematic stormcast armies. So I've written out a bunch of ideas here just as a jumping off point of, of what you can do as a thematic stormcast army um because we talk about pitch battles all day but when you're collecting an army when you're building an army really the, the best way to do it is is to pick a theme to pick some idea behind your whole collection right uh for me my idea was all of it just just get every model right that was, that was my idea uh but obviously that doesn't work for most people because you have a limited time you have limited uh, hobby budget and I can definitely say I do this with other armies like I have a small little caradron force and my goal there is to have only gunships and only thunderers and that's it that's all I want right that's my theme and I'm going to try to make that work the best I can um, but if we're looking at it from stormcast there's all kinds of things you can do right like so so some ideas are to build it around a specific chamber right maybe you just want to do the sacrosanct chamber because you have a bunch of soul wars models and that's a cool list to do right they've all got these cool robes it's Thematically, it all fits together and it looks really cool. Uh, you can just do all dragons. You can do all Thunderstrike. You don't have to use any of the old Stormcast. And when you start picking these themes, and the more you, the more you restrict yourself to these themes, it kind of opens up new possibilities for yourself. You can do. You start thinking of, well, I want only Thunderstrike models, but I want to use a Lord Relictor. So how do I? How do these goals intersect, right? And that's where kit bashing starts coming into play and things like that. So you can also theme your armies around storm hosts. I know a lot of people. Uh, a big draw for them in any army is picking a sub-faction and going with it, right? So I, I talked about my Caradron, how I just want to use as many gunships as possible. There's a sub-faction for that. So maybe that's going to influence how I paint them. Maybe that influences how I base them. I start looking into their, their backstory. And yeah, uh, so what kind of themes did you guys pick for your armies? I know, Coach, you've been talking about uh, you're just getting into the gaming side of thing, things with Stormcast yeah. now. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell my secrets. It's uh, my armies on parade uh, build. Okay. 
I, I would go one step further back than what you've already listed here. And is there a particular story or a character? And something that I've really enjoyed in the last couple of years since Age of Sigma has been fleshed out is understanding more about the mortal realms, looking at the maps and, and understanding where exactly my, my force could come from or is, is sorting out. So if I'm a Stormcast player, I would start off with is, which realm am I from? Where am I based? What is home? Is it Gairan? Is it Akshi? Is it, you know, uh, is it Shayish? Whatever it might be. And then start thinking about that as a theme and then what my, my um, Storm host or my chamber might be doing in this particular mission. Or um, I've, I've really found enjoyment developing a story over time and i think picking yourself in a mortal realm really grounded me personally and i think that's where i've really enjoyed my hobby is grounding myself um and that got me started because then that influences my basing it influences maybe the storm host and it influences the models that if it's a if my army is focused on cleansing death from from the realms or some type of uprising then i can really tie that story and you know you mentioned ox king for example he's he's done a great job to bring that story to life and it's visually impactful as well as mm. it's competitive and it also allows you to then look at your army and you know with blinders pick the models and not just fall into a trap of buying everything um and that's worked for me often. Um, I did a corrupted daughters of Cain la last year. I've done you know a, a viking-esque gargan army the year before having a story and having an idea has really kept me focused in my hobby journey i actually agree with that i for the way i do armies is i don't, don't just read the rules in the tome i read like the story like the whole thing about each unit about you know what stormcast do what each chamber does and from there i'll go okay i really like this chamber like that's how i picked the like i i'm a big fan of hammers of sigmar and anvils those are the those are my two paint schemes um but I'll read the story about them, I'll, and I'll be like, okay, so my this is will be Annals of the Heldenhammer. They're fighting dust, and so you know their bases will have little skulls on them or something. Yeah, but yeah, I would, I'd say the the battle tome that you buy for your army, uh, for uh, for Stormcast in this case is is really important. Like read through it; it's it's really good lore. It's really good uh, description of the units and like what they do in the story. Yeah. Now. Um... It's interesting because when I when I first started collecting my Stormcast, I had a I had a hard time figuring out which basing scheme I wanted to do, and for some reason this was just such a big problem for me. I don't know why, uh, but I ended up going with like planes, kind of like a dusty brown, yellowish kind of planes with like little bits of tufts here and there, and just that simple decision because I found a paint scheme that I really liked, uh, that led me down thinking, okay, well my guys are going to be from Gur. They're, they seem a little more like they're on some kind of savanna or, or something like that. And that got me thinking, well, why are they in Gur? What are they doing in Gur? It's the Realm of Beasts. This was back in 2016, mind you, when I think the only thing we knew about Gur was that it was the Realm of Beasts and there's some orcs there sometimes. Um, so it kind of just got me thinking, got the gears turning, right? Um, even just the most arbitrary decision of what color I wanted to use on the base started leading me down a theme of what I wanted to do with my guys. It's, it's been rewarding. I, I definitely enjoy that aspect of collecting my my army a lot more when i have a central theme right like with my seraphon it was my first army i just wanted all the dudes fine stormcast i started being a little more thematic and i got more enjoyment out of it but now when i collect a new army like i said with caradron i'm all in on the theme 
right? I'm not trying to build the most powerful list I can with them. I'm not even trying to build lists. I'm trying to build like a display almost, right? Like I'm trying to build a little scene and what would make sense in that story that I'm trying to create. And that definitely fits along the lines of, of rules are temporary, cool models are forever, right? You yeah. just get whatever you think looks cool. That I, I can't hammer that home more. <laughs> I think I think it also ties. I've found that ties you up really nicely. If I'm a new player and I have a story, let's say um, I am an expansive force and we don't know a lot about the realm of metal, the Shimon. If if my warrior chamber or whatever my army is doing is a um, a shock force that Sigma has sent my 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 peeps to go out and help develop one of the new free cities of the mortal realms and we're going to reclaim a realm gate of something right every battle that i have can be a can tell a story it could help me create a hero it could um if i lose then how do how does that loss um help me or hinder me from my ultimate goal and um i did this for a tournament a few years ago our big gt called cancon and it was set in the realm of life with my, um, and I was running Cities of Sigmar at the time, and I was running a Hallow Heart, so a very wizardy type army. And I had a bit of fun, and I said to myself, "This you know, win, lose, or draw, what I'm going to do is this is an exp- exploration force that's going out there to find artifacts. And I want to win my games, obviously. I want to claim artifacts. I want to beat my opponents. But also every loss could tell me a little story. And I enjoyed my, my games far more than just going in with the pure goal of crushing my opponent and winning my games. So it helps you and it really gets you kind of motivated. And I don't know, there's something about tapping in and having a holistic story rather than just what you see in some communities, which is you buy the strong models. Formulate is a perfect example. Your little Dracoths, if their points get changed, they might sit on the shelf or you sell them. Um, and you obviously want to put time and effort into your models and keep them. So. I'm not saying don't be competitive. I'm not saying don't use the rules that are strongest. But what I am saying is try to find stories and ideas that will help you enjoy your games more than just what happens on the tabletop. Yeah, because what we're talking about here is is how to collect an army, right? Not just how to play the army, not just which things to get, but just how to get the most enjoyment out of just owning the models. Like what's the optimal... I'm not phrasing this very well. <laughs> I'm just trying to no, make yeah, sure yeah. people get the optimal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, you're, you're trying to, if you're talking about from a collecting standpoint, yes, do, do it with that story in mind. Because here's the thing: nobody cares how you paint your models. Like nobody's gonna come up to you at a tournament and be like, oh, you're playing your optimized tournament Knights Excelsior list, but your models aren't painted like Knights Excelsior. Like you don't have to do that. And you know, if you don't find joy in painting that paint scheme, then or having that story in mind don't do that you know collect your models and paint your models according to that story that you you want to tell i guess i I can definitely say that the best person like overall the most enjoyable person to meet at a tournament is the person who has the best uh not necessarily the best painted but the best thematic army that person is always my favorite person to go up and talk to at an event because they are the friendliest person and if they happen to be a good player that's even better but definitely that if you're that guy you're awesome like that's just great. That's the best person at the tournament. One thing I wanted to say is that when you're theming your army, you can. these guys are kind of intense, quite frankly, for me. You can keep it as simple as you want, guys. I went into this. I saw Stormcast as a blank slate. Compared to Chaos, which is one of the armies I wanted to go with, um, very uniform paint schemes. I just wanted to do something different. 
So I took picked up Stormcast and I just started painting them up in my favorite hockey team's jerseys. Yep. <laughs> and you and what I really like about that idea is that uh, your team has a bunch of different color schemes, right? Like you're wearing one of the colors now, and that's how you painted yep. your Vanguard. Uh, but there's also like a red, black, orange. Yeah, coach. There's like a red, black, orange scheme that you use for your sacrosanct, and like each chamber kind of has its own theme going on, which is really cool. Like I'd, I've yep. never seen anyone do that kind of thing before with with a hockey team so yeah whatever reason you think of is valid it's your hobby they're your models and you know if anybody ever tells you you have to use a certain subfaction rules how you painted them uh you tell that person to screw off <laughs> they're not worth yep. your time <laughs> just walk away from the table at that point yeah we we don't we don't, we're really lucky not to have that um tribalism that 40k has right um that ultramarines are blue that blood angels yeah. are red. You know, if you want to paint, and you, you can paint your models however you want. And in fact, I would encourage people not just to paint their models in the traditional gold. If you want to paint them in silver and make them feel more like Dungeons and Dragons, Paladin, full plate mail, cool, do it. If you want to do blue or red or orange or multicolors because it's your favorite sports team, do it. You yeah. want to put helmets or not helmets. You want to make your Stormcast girls and or boys, or you want to make them dogs, whatever. Lizards. Yes. <laughs> make them lizards. Yeah, like Vince, bloody Vince Venturella has got Skaven heads on his with rat cards. Yeah, rat like, cast. Yeah. Whatever. Just do, enjoy your hobby. Yeah. That's that's the that's how to get the most out of this aspect of the hobby is to make sure you're doing something that you enjoy, that you just want to do. It'll make it a lot easier to spend more money that way. <laughs> and if you got a story, it's even cooler. Like you asked Vince about his um his rat cast, he would tell you a great story. If you ask somebody about why they put skeleton heads maybe on their Stormcast instead, there'll be a great story. Like the old Death Watch, I think it was, or Death, there was some Company of the Damned. Like, you know what I mean? Like just it's your yeah. hobby. It's your plastic. Yeah. So another comment, but I like but... James as well. Like James, I like that you said, um, don't overcomplicate it. You don't have to listen to every audio book. You don't have to, you know, go crazy on conversions. Like these are optional things. Yep. Totally. Yep. Uh, so a common question we get is, uh, what does a competitive list usually look like? I don't know, but I feel like we can have this discussion because we made a clear delineation between a thematic list and a competitive list. Um, this is a. These are units that you want to use when your goal is to win. Your not your goal is not to make a thematic army with units that you want. They could be units that you want, but the when you're trying to you know five zero to GT, that's what I would consider to be the competitive. That's the goal, right? To win, to be as efficient as possible. So I wanted to have a quick discussion, just uh, mostly as a reference here for a lot of people to go back and be like, oh hey, I can go back and check that timestamp, and there it is. Um, just discussing what is in at least in our opinion, in our experience, uh, a competitive Stormcast army. Um, so usually, and you guys feel free to jump in and correct me on anything, <laughs> uh, usually it'll have around two to four hero units, and it'll usually have the minimum amount of battle line possible. And the reasons for that is because our, our support heroes are very expensive, our battle line is not very good at doing damage typically, so we want to bring as few of it as possible because we want to have uh, really, really good shooting and really good melee units. Our heroes are not the guys that are doing the damage, and they're not the guys that are taking the damage. Um, they are there to support the other units that are doing that role. So because of that, just as a result, we tend to prefer minimum battle line, like 
three and that's it. You don't want to bring a fourth battle line unit if you can help it, and you don't want to max out on heroes, right? This is very general because I've built lists with with six heroes and, and five battle line before. So this is very general stuff. You also typically want to use a mix of, of hammers and anvils. Um, quick explanation of that is an anvil is a unit that holds something in place and then an enemy comes to charge it, the anvil holds it there, and then a hammer unit would come in from the side and kill the thing that is holding in place. Uh, you can see more about that in our podcast, episode nine, uh, but you, Stormcast typically are specialized units. We've got these big shields. Obviously, those guys aren't the ones doing damage. They're holding stuff in place. And then we have guys with big hammers, and those are obviously the guys doing the damage, right? So you want to bring a mix of those two. You don't want to go too all-in defensively or offensively. Um, I've seen a lot of people discuss bringing only Dracoth lists, and that seems really good because you get as many Dracoths as possible, which is great. But then you face an army that's way faster than you, and they get to charge you. And if you don't have anything disposable that you can put in their way, they're charging and killing really, really valuable pieces that you can't afford to lose like that. So a mix of hammers and anvils is definitely recommended. And I would also say that usually Stormcast lists have a mix of shooting and melee. It's not just uh, fulminators. I don't think you can reliably win 5-0 if you just have fulminators in your list. I think you need to bring a good mix of shooting and melee. Uh, it gives you the most tactical flexibility. And then... Um, I think it's just better from a collection standpoint. Like, don't just collect one type of unit because you might end up uh, losing out on that in the long run. It's better to just have an all-rounded collection as far as Stormcast is concerned anyway. Well, I, I certainly agree. On the other hand, dragons. You can just have a collection <laughs> that's just dragons. So there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, and, and then uh, I just wanted to quickly go over what we consider popular units, like what we find ourselves using a lot, what we see people using a lot. Uh, for, for anvils, as I discussed, they're the units that hold stuff in place. Uh, we typically see vindictors, liberators, uh, protectors and prosecutors, surprisingly. Prosecutors are disposable. They're just going to die, but they're fast. So they're, they're, they fit that role pretty well. Uh, for hammer units, you know, you heard me mention fulminators and, and long strikes earlier. I would definitely say those are the top two. Like if you had to pick two Stormcast units that are going to be popular, it's going to be those two. They do a lot of damage, a lot of damage. Uh, and that's that's really what you need right now. Other ones I would say are annihilators with grand hammers are very popular because they're fun. If you like rolling sevens, they're a very, very fun unit to use. And uh, Stormdrake Guard are wicked. They're not, they don't do the most damage in the world, but they are really fast and they're dragons, which is all the reason you need. And in terms of shooting, uh, Judicators and Long Strikes are both very good. Uh, both kinds of Judicators. I'm really, really liking Crossbow Judicators right now a lot. And Long Strikes are a staple. They've never been bad. Like, all the way in first edition, they've never been bad. They've always been a phenomenal unit. It's, it's crazy. How many boxes do you need to sell Games Workshop? Just tell us the number so that we can use a different unit. Uh, and I would say our, our most popular heroes in competitive lists are the Relictor. We've talked about him a lot. Uh, the Knight and Cantor is very popular. Now, we did mention that he is included, or, or she, the, the female sculpt, is included in Soul Wars. But there are multiple Knight and Cantors, so you don't have to get Soul Wars in order to get the Encantor. Uh, it's also a super easy model to proxy, quite frankly, like the Evocator Mortal Prime. Rums, yep. Mortal Realms is probably one of the best sources. Uh, there's a free magazine, I want to say. There's like a Get Started magazine at, yes. like, at Games Workshop store way from way back. It has like Mail Night Encanter, which is only found in that magazine. Yeah, I love you that sculpt. A That's Games a Workshop. great sculpt. Yeah, if you ask any Games Workshop employee, I'm sure they'll have like one or two, and it's only like five or six dollars. Yeah. It's not that much. Uh, there's also a ton on the secondary market, and uh, in case you're one of those who 
bought the evocator's multi-part kit you can build the uh, prime as a knight encanter and then if you don't want to run him as that run him as an evocator later you can totally do that no, no yep. yep gardis is super popular um I, I can give you guys quick explanations of why these units are popular the heroes in particular uh, but if you want more information you're better off looking at our uh, our tier list video we do a very in-depth explanation of every war scroll uh, what's good about it, what's bad about it, if there is anything bad about it. Gardas is just phenomenal. Um, what makes Gardas really good is everything around him gets a 5 plus ward, which is like increasing their health by 50%, which is insane, because Stormcast don't have a lot of wounds, so when you increase it by 50%, suddenly you look like a regular army, instead of being like this hyper-elite army with only like 100 wounds. Uh, Lord Castellan is, is pretty popular. He gives one unit plus one to save. It's a very strong effect. Uh, Celestant Prime, I would say, I would put him on popular. He's actually more popular outside of Stormcast lists, which is weird. A lot of cities armies, Ideneth, um, I've seen Daughters of Cain using him, Seraphon. He's a very he's self sufficient. Yeah. Well, you can't do it. You can't do it in Daughters of Cain anymore. Um, oh, that's true. Uh, yeah. After 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 Marathi took yeah, over um, uh, Anvil Guard to turn it Hakuron, but um, because he's got a four up ward save, he comes down from the sky. So. There's a lot of armies that don't have the ability to come in from reserves. So the fact that on his war scroll he comes in from reserves, he has a four up ward save, can multi, you know can manipulate a dice roll. Um, he, he's just very good at um, what he does, and he's, it doesn't rely, rely on your your abilities. Um, yep. Stormcast abilities. For for better or for worse, <laughs> I kind of wish he had a little more synergy with the Stormcast army. But no, he's great. As a like city's as, as a city's a Sigma player, I'm very happy that he does what he does. Yep, I'm sure yeah, when I eventually start a city's army, I will be very happy to have him. You like you like the reverse of me. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I eventually want to use him because I was planning on maybe my next army. I think it might be Adnan Deepkin, uh, and you can take him in Adnan Deepkin. He's good there. Yeah, well, if the rumors are true, you can do that soon. Mm. Uh, Bastion is really good. A lot of people, especially in our Discord, really, really like Bastion. Not just because the model is great, but he's just a, a fun model to use. He feels a little a little bit overcosted, right? Like 300 points for, for his damage and, and defense is it's fine, I guess. Uh, but he is pretty popular, I would say. He's going to see play uh, Hammers of Sigmar is a good sub-faction. He's fits really well into Hammers of Sigmar, so he sees play. Mm -hmm. uh, I would also put the Lord Celestine on Star Drake on this list as a popular unit, even though it's not the best unit you can use. It's very expensive, it takes up a big chunk of your army, and uh, it's it's really not the highest damage output, but I think he's still really popular because he's very defensive, right? You can stack a lot of defensive buffs on him and tank things for days with that model. Um, especially mm -hmm. the, the instant kill jaw ability, as soon as we get out of this Gargant meta, that ability is going to be phenomenal because instant killing things before you attack them, you can pick out unit champions, you can pick out musicians, you can you can break coherency, you banners. Can bulk, yeah. banners, yeah. It's going to be really good. So so keep an eye on the Celestin. He's a good pick for competitive games. Uh, and then the last two I want to mention are the Knight Judicator and the Lord Arcanum on Torallon because I can't make a video without talking about the Torallon, apparently. Uh, <laughs> The Knight Judicator uh, is, is surprised me in how good he is. I really didn't expect it because just looking at the numbers, his damage for his points is not, not spectacular, especially in an army like Stormcast where we have really, really efficient shooting. Uh, but what the Knight mm -hmm. Judicator does that nothing else in our army does efficiently is he has Rend 3 shooting. And he's also a hero, which means he can take uh, artifacts. So, for example, you could 
give him a mirror shield to create a Ren 3 shooting battery that can't be shot back. You could put him on the edge of your deployment, and then your opponent deep strikes in some shooting, and they just can't shoot the Nijudicator because he has a mirror shield. It's incredible utility. And then you add in the two Griffhounds that he gives you, which are a cheap screen. You don't care what this unit does most of the time. And if your opponent ever sets up anything in range, you get to shoot at it. So one the problem the problem with the Nijudicator is that one is not enough. Right? One just does maybe three or six damage per turn, and that's not going to win you the game. But when you bring five of them, it starts <laughs> it starts to get good. Uh, and that is a real list that somebody ran, uh, I think like the first weekend there was an event with this new Stormcast book, and somebody ran a Nijudicator spam list. Yeah. But I don't think it was anything. refined enough. I think he caught people off guard, and I underrated it, but I'm I'm coming around on it. So keep an eye on the Night Judicator. And uh, last up, the the Torlon, this this podcast favorite model, objectively. That's not up for discussion. <laughs> uh, the Torlon's great. He's fast flying wizard, and he has a, an aura that gives every unit around him plus one to hit. So just really fills out your curve really nicely, makes you very efficient. Um, just a great model all around. So those are the units I would uh, put as a typical competitive list. Do you guys think I missed anything, or, or would you contest anything I put on here? What about the Cult of the Night Relictor? Uh, nope, not found. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a painting contest. <laughs> okay. Uh, I will so... say, I, I will say that we are on the cusp of um, the, the FAQ. So points oh. may get adjusted. So while you might say that this is really good, would you say it if, um, you know, Bastion was 500 points? Now, I'm not saying he's going to be, but contextually yes. things are going to change or could change. And I think, um, and, I, you know, I, I saw Ox King mention this and this kind of segues again, but Ox King was talking about the dragons and, you know, is, is it good? And I think I, I, it'd be fair to say right now, people are comparing dragons to the Forminators, and point for point, people are jumping and going, well, dragons aren't as good now as Forminators. But what happens if Forminators go up now? Yeah. This is kind of why we've said through this discussion, this whole video, that models are forever, and things will go up in points, things will go down in points. Um, you've really got to think long-term, otherwise um, you'll be chasing this, the, you'll be chasing the, the dragon. Like you'll just be mm -hmm. constantly chasing your tail. You you yep. are the god of segues because our next slide is about what units are risky to purchase right now, um, and one of the reasons is definitely the upcoming FAQ. Uh, so let's let's get through it. So what I mean by risky are units that could get nerfed, right? They could have their points changed or their rules changed, which is more rare, but it can happen. Um, I would also put in units that are getting new battle tomes soon into this category. Uh, so if you are, for example, using allied units, or if you're using cities with Sigmar and Stormkeep, those could totally change, right? Like I, yes, coach, you have a question? Can, can I add one more thing? Yeah. We're currently playing in the realm of, of Gur, right? We're playing in the, if you're playing match play, you're playing in the Gurish Heartlands, which is yes. there, there, are key, there are key incentives for monsters and things like that. What happens if tomorrow they release the next battle pack? And it's all about wizards. Oh, then we're. Yeah. How does that change? <laughs> no, but like, how, but how does that change the game? So again, the yeah. value perception and what you add into your list will fundamentally change, and your Toralon might go up even more. Um, 
and any monster wizard, you know, your your um your evocators and your sequiturs might go up in value. Totally. While you're, you're, you know what I mean? Like it's just yeah, yeah, and I, I, yeah, that's the other thing I was gonna mention. It's like, yeah, the monsters are being incentivized, or they could incentivize hordes again. So everyone's running these really low model count armies. Well, what if they start incentivizing things that are like above models of ten, uh, you know, count model count of ten or more? Um, and yes, that could completely change. And I, and I think like for, we'll probably make videos around. I, I'm, I'm assuming I don't really know, but I'm assuming they're gonna do this around every GHB, so every year. Um, so yeah, I think that's something you do need to take into account. Mm-hmm. Yep. Suddenly your uh, vanquishers are looking good at that point, and suddenly you want more battle mages as the allied units. I want to live yep. in the vanquisher meta. That's where I want to be. Yeah. <laughs> I want to live in the griffhound meta. That's where I want to live. Yeah. <laughs> where summoning armies are so rampant that you're just firing off wave after wave of griffhound barks. <laughs> uh, so some units definitely stand out. Uh, in my eyes, as as risky. They're popular units, definitely. Um, but like taking a look at Cities of Sigmar, for example, um, Battle Mages could totally change, right? Like we really if, like Battle I, I Mages. I feel attacked, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I just got some. Um, I just... Battle Mages are, are risky right now. Um, they're good. I like using them. But the thing is, the way the realms realm rules work right now and the way Battle Mages work they were designed with second edition in mind, where it, you didn't know what realm you were playing in. But now if you know every single game is going to be in Gur, the Gur Battle Mage is like way better than his points suggest, right? And his spell is really good too. Uh, I don't know if they, mm-hmm. when they designed it, they did it purposefully that you could use it on Stormcast as an ally, or any order unit really as an ally. Uh, plus two run and charge is insane in a game with very few bonuses to run and charge anymore. Um, so I would consider him risky. The Frostheart Phoenix is another one Um Maybe not as risky, just because it's always had the same ability throughout all of Age of Sigmar, the minus one wound aura. Very, very strong effect. Incredibly strong. Always been strong. Um, the only reason I would suggest that they might change it is just because it is that strong. And they, they don't make abilities that strong in 3rd edition based on the battle tomes. So there's a bit of risk there, right? It's a cool model. I'm, I'm so close to getting one. I'm so close because I really want to run one, but I'm worried that the new Cities of Sigmar battle tome will come out. And they will update its rules, and I just suddenly all I have is a cool model, which it's not the worst thing in the world. But I want to use it in games, right? That's the reason I want to get it, not just not just for the looks. And Gotrick, I would definitely put Gotrick on this list. Um, could be a points thing, could be a rules change, but that guy is seeing play in a lot of armies right now, and he is he is due for some changes for sure. And then looking at Stormcast. Uh, you know, Storm Drake Guard were nerfed already twice. They could get nerfed a third time or a fourth time. There's no limit to how many times they can nerf these things. Um, so I would consider them. I, a little I bit think. Risky. I think Krondus and Karazai, specifically Krondus, is more of a risk than Storm Drake Guard. You think so? Really? I think Krondus is. I think Krondus is underpointed. I think Krondus could go up fifty, and Karazai goes down fifty. Um, but I think Storm Drake Guard is probably. Over. I think Krondus' utility, utility value is just extraordinary. Um, like, and, and I, when, when I go pound for pound Karazai versus Krondus, I don't think there's much of a, a difference in the combat profile between the two. The fact that Krondus brings in so much wizardry power um, and the debuff shenanigans, I think he's probably sl- To me, I think that's the risk. I think mm-hmm. the Stormdrake Guard are fairly fairly costed. I think they're, they're okay. Um, 
if any of these rumors are true and there's a wizard dragon coming in the future on you know a storm drake sorry storm sorry yeah storm guard maybe different story yeah. but i think Krondus is a little bit undercosted. okay fair enough yeah especially if uh if we shift out of out of gur and the game changes from uh a heavy monster meta, Krondus is definitely going to get a lot better. Because right now, the only thing holding Krondus back, I think, is the fact that when you face four Gargants, he's really not that effective for his points. Whereas if you face, you know, 30 Skeletons, you're going to have the best day of your life, because that Calamitous Tail is, is going to destroy those Skeletons easily. So, well, you'll debuff their save to where they get no save, yeah. and then you'll queue through anyone. And that's, yeah. and, the, and that's the debuff stuff that you can do in the, in the superpower wizard that uh, Krondus is. Anyway, like, I, I think that's more of a risk, folks, than sure. um, the Stormdrake Guard. I think um, they're fairly costed. Uh, I think the Lord Relictor is a risky unit right now, partly because of how difficult yes. he is to get. Like, you don't want to go spending uh, 100 bucks on a start collecting and, and then find out that the Lord Relictor is going up in points. Um, I don't think the Lord Relictor should be nerfed. I think for 145 points, that's a very fair price for this model. Not too much and not too little, because it is just a six-wound hero with a mediocre combat profile. And the only reason people use him is because he has plus one to prayers, right? So I don't think the Lord Relictor will get nerfed, but Games Workshop tends to do things based off popularity. If a model is so popular that it's in every single Stormcast list, they'll nerf it just to shake things up. Like, it doesn't even have to be overpowered, but that is a thing that they've done in the past. Uh, similarly, Vanguard Raptors, I'm not of the opinion that they are too strong right now, uh, but they still could see a point increase, point increase just because they are very popular and, frankly, not that fun to play against. So I think they will do something to discourage their use. Um, mm -hmm. I think Judicators are less risky. I don't think people have... Uh, uh, most people are using Raptors, right? They're going to take all the heat. Uh, judicators do more damage... And have way more wounds, so it seems like they yeah, should I, get nerfed. I played I played a, a list. I think it was like ten or fifteen judicators with um, Indrasa bringing models back and Rally bringing models back. It was a, a tough. I think it took me a good three turns with um, with to try and take them down. Mm -hmm. um, even with a four up save, the the way Stormcast stack saves, it makes them very very efficient at taking trades. And then you start rallying back. Like nobody appreciates how good Stormcast are at rallying right now. <laughs> Because when you rally yeah. back uh, eighty points, you oh, know that's really good. Oh, I I I played an opponent who had four fulminators and rallied two out of three. I I'd killed Marathi had killed three of his Marathi had killed three of his four, and uh, he rolled his rally and he brought back two out of the three. And I just looked at him, and then Indras is running around bringing back other parts of his army. So, um, you do get good value from that CP. Yeah. Uh, fulminators are definitely on the risky unit list, I would say, more so than Raptors. The damage Fulminators can do is absurd. Um, everybody is talking about it, that they are... From an internal standpoint, too, it's not good for Fulminators to be so cheap because every other option is is just pales in comparison. Overshadowed. Right? Yeah. yeah. Why use Concussors? Ever. Why use Desolators? Ever. Right. There has to be a significant point increase to differentiate these two units. Uh, that said, I don't mind so much if Fulminators go up if they brought other things down right because i don't think i don't think a unit of four fulminators in a vacuum is overpowered right it's uh, it does a lot of damage but you can kill it what i'm worried about with fulminators is that people are going to start spamming them because their damage is so good even in a squad of two people are going to bring you know four six eight maybe ten to a list and that's mm -hmm. what i'm that's what i'm concerned about 
Um, they're also in auto, including li Living City too. So Cities of oh, Sigma yeah. folks love yeah. them as well. So they, they're not just standout units in Stormcast, they're standout ally choices as well. So um, I think they're a risky business. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a feeling they're going to errata that Living City interaction to make it not work on Stormcast units because there's a, it's really, really strong with Stormcast and not nearly as strong for Cities units. Um, I don't think they well, they're a coalition. It. So you could even yeah. do that with Stormgrade Guard. It's it's kind of it's kind of insane actually how good that is. Oh, right? the, even the Star Drake can do it. The Star Drake can yeah, yeah, can outflank. Yeah, the Star Drake now yep. is a shooting attack. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty nuts. Um, so another thing I wanted to have a little discussion about here is the con the prospect of them eventually cutting out the old Stormcast models because what we're seeing here seems to be a Primaris style update to Stormcast, and a lot of people suspect that what's going to happen with the the Space Marines is that the Primaris are slowly, release by release, replacing the old models. Because if you look at what they've released, it does seem to be the case that they are going through, and it's like a true scale update that they're doing over a period of 10 years. So could the same sure. thing be happening to Stormcast? Do you guys get that feeling? Yes, I do. I just don't... The thing is, we don't know how fast it'll be. Like for Space Marine players, when I talk to them, because there's quite a few 40k players around here, it doesn't make sense for them to not buy first, they call them Firstborn and Primaris, it doesn't make sense for them to not buy Firstborn and not enjoy the game while they're still around. At the same time, yes, the consensus is the, within the next three, four, five years, they are, we are going to see a phasing out of the uh, Firstborn and when all the Primaris replacements come into play. Um, and, I, and I think like if the plan really is to replace old cast in the next five six years five years is a long time to own models i don't think that's something like it, you should be fine buying them. like yeah. it doesn't feel like it's it's something that's going to happen immediately so if you want to buy them paint some raptors now thinking oh wait they'll come up with uh thunderstrike raptors sometime in the future i i don't think you should be pining on that weight like you should just go buy yourself some retributors raptors have fun you know it definitely feels I think the cost different. Of, I think the cost of admission is low enough to where you can justify buying them and not having to worry about them being phased out in five years. Mm -hmm. it, it definitely feels different than the, than the Primaris. Um, like what Chase is saying in the chat, that the Primaris Marines are straight up bigger than normal Marines, right? They're not a redesign. They're a, mm -hmm. they're, um, a refresh is a better way to put it. This is the size that we always wanted Marines to be. Our technology just didn't catch up with our scale, right? And now it can Whereas Thunderstrike are actually the same scale as regular Stormcast. And, you know, for all we know, Thunderstrike is just one of many new armor types. Maybe the next time they do a Stormcast release, there's going to be an entirely new armor type, right? Maybe that's the way forward. Instead yeah. of doing chambers, we're going to be doing uh, just new armor types going forward. So I don't think there's, first of all, there's nothing obviously credible to this idea. It's just an idea of people, you know, connecting dots that might not necessarily need to be connected. So. It doesn't feel. It, it just feels different with Stormcast than it does Primaris. So I'm not. I'm My not worried about this person. When we eventually get a Thunderstrike Wave Two, which I think will happen sometime in the next three years, I want to say, uh, we'll know more. This is just all we can do is guess, right? At this point, if they or come speculate. out with, if they come out with Vanguard Thunderstrike and Sacrosanct Thunderstrike, I think at that point the writing would be on the wall. But I don't yeah. think we're there yet. Yeah. I think the reality that I think about is that you now have about 80 models. 
I think give or take somewhere between eighty to a hundred. Yeah, seventy six to eighty war scrolls. Yeah, you, yeah, you've got like let's say let's let's call it eighty for for cleans, right? You know, you've got expansions through underworlds. You're getting um, new hero options and things being unlocked constantly. At what point does the book become too big? And I would say, arguably, it already is too big. You've got too many options to choose from, and a lot of roles that are being duplicated. You've got minor changes. So how do you how do you keep releasing models for this army, but keep it in reign? How do you rein it in? So do you retire Generation One? Do you split the book off like Space Marine have done, and then you have the Sacrosanct Chamber has a pure book, you know, um, other different types of builds, or what do you or do you stop releasing models for Stormcast, or do you just have like 150 units by the year 2025? Now, I don't know, um, but I think at some point in time, something has to happen because when you compare your book to every other book, most other armies have like 20 unit choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are very I've spoiled. I've thought about this. Yeah, I have thought about this, and I think the cleanest way for them, and the way I can see it, the biggest problem in the Stormcast War Scroll bloat comes from heroes. We have a lot of obsolete foot heroes that were very much designed for Age of Sigmar 1.0, and they are not... That is not how the game is played anymore in, you know, 3.0. I think the way to start would be to start moving them to Legends. Like, I think the Quester should not even be in the book, the Night Quester. I don't think the Heralder should be in the book. I think the Heralder should, can just move to Legends or you can just run it as a replacement Liberator or something. You know, do that. I'm sorry, I know Paul loves the Heralder, but <laughs> this is just an idea. You could do that. The second thing you could do is you could start combining you like let's say you were in, we're three years in the future we get a thunderstrike on Dracoth we get a new cab unit entirely you could merge the three Dracothian guard profiles into the same profile and have it just be a weapon choice so that way you've sort of moved it into legends but you've not invalidated someone's collection they can still run it it's just not as a specialized like a fulminator concussor desolator like it used to be it's just a Dracothian guard unit whatever weapon it has. So they could they could do those things to where it cuts down the war scroll bloat. You go from two pages to one. See, I'm also thinking. I'm thinking inventory. I'm thinking about if I am um, a warehouse stocking Stormcast product. Mm-hmm. At what point is there too many models sitting on my shelves? I, I look. I don't know. I think it. Yeah. I think there's a risk. Certainly, old cast gets retired. You know, is Vindictors a replacement for Liberators? Question mark. Um, is there a time that the book has to be split or, or retired or something? Yes. Does the old models have a higher risk than the newer models? Yes. It seems like uh, what they're doing with a lot of other factions that have been around since Warhammer Fantasy uh, is is updating the older sculpts, right? That's definitely been a common theme. We started seeing that. I think Gits were the first one where they redid uh, the they did a bunch of squigs and they did trogs. They and did. Things. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it feels like this is what's happening with stormcast too right it would not be out of line but now if they if they if they came out and said these are straight up replacements they'd burn a lot of bridges right people don't want that so they would if they were doing this they would roll it out over a period of 10 years a decade right a lot of small releases here and there slowly over time replacing the models Um, so even if that is what's happening we have so much time to enjoy these models, and they'll still be there on the shelf long after we're done playing with them. So I don't, I don't think it's a big deal. Like if you like the old cast, then go for it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that right now. It's all conspiracy theories. 
not even like it's less it's less credible than a conspiracy theory it's an idea and that's I, floating around i will also say that what you are sharing here are similar conversations that are happening across other factions at what point do the cities of sigma range get kind of squatted or you know re reduced and revisited you know we saw that with skeletons and you know the changing of skeletons in soul black grave lords you know like will dirthu get replaced you know with a new kernothi type model like mm -hmm. This is not unique to Stormcast, folks. So don't think that, you know, you're being bullied or punished. It's just as unlike Magic the Gathering where there's no, you don't paint the card and you can just retire cards and put them on the shelf. There's obviously a lot of money and emotion that goes into our, our hobby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I will also say, unlike Space Marines, 80 Stormcast feels about our limit, whereas Storm, Space Marines are up to like 100, 100 something, 130 maybe. They have an absurd like amount. 150 absurd amount, yeah. But the difference is they sell. So as long as Stormcast are selling, they will never retire models, right? It has to it has to get really, really bad in terms of sales. And I think Space Marines are the proof of that because people still buy Tactical Marines. People still buy the old Scouts. They still buy old Bikers. And as long as people are buying them, they're going to keep making them. So, yeah. Uh, another thing on the same vein is what do you guys think is the future of Endless Spells? Would you recommend somebody go out and buy Malign Sorcery if they're a new player? That's a good question. I didn't think about that. Um, I didn't bother with it. I just borrowed spells off of my friends, so I, I can't really answer that one. Um, in my opinion, they should be moved to enhancements. <laughs> they shouldn't cost points. Yeah, I, I would actually love that. <laughs> Especially the faction-specific ones, if you could bring them yeah. without points, but by spending yeah. a, a, an enhancement from a warlord battalion, for example, I would think that would yeah. be a lot better. Like, don't make them like don't make it like every army can take one because I think some are too strong. Like Umbral Small Portal, for instance, is like pretty much an auto take whenever someone takes Nagash or Kairos. Uh, make them have to like spend an enhancement slot, mm -hmm. and this will go ways into cutting people biting into battle regiment all the time. You know. Yeah. Now, the reason I bring up Endless Spells, um, for, there's, there's two main reasons. One, from a narrative perspective, it, it doesn't make sense for them to be around anymore, right? The, the Necroquake that created them is gone. Uh, the Life Quake that Alarial created is, is passed by. Uh, so there, there could be still some spells running around, but it's not like there's so much magic. I, I could be totally wrong about this. I'm not a lore guy. Um, but it seems like there's no lore reason for them to be around anymore. But also from a manufacturing side of things, it's commonly known that these were made in factories in China. And the relationship with the UK and China has been very different than it was three years ago when they first released these things. I think they've moved some of their manufacturing back to the UK. And if you're manufacturing stuff in the UK, it's going to be well, it's going to be Space Marines. <laughs> it's going to be the stuff people are going to spend a lot of money on, higher quality molds. Uh, the endless spells were lower texture i guess is that the right way to put it lower detail lower uh, fidelity right so i have i have just this nagging feeling that next edition endless spells just aren't going to be allowed in, in any game mode anymore i just get that feeling do you guys feel that i have a feeling they're not we're not going to see endless spells for any new armies i think that was very much a 2.0 thing I think people don't take them as much people just use I, the most i've seen are like burning head and umbral spell portal and you know, it's, I just I don't like them. Like if they make them purposefully not good, or like the older ones, like we've seen, like they've made some of them purposefully not good. 
Um, I don't want it to be this thing that, oh, I have to buy this to complete my collection. It's not, I don't want it to become another, like, I don't know how to say it, like the train piece. Like, I don't know how I feel about that because like for most armies, it's a free benefit. Like if I'm OBR, I have to take the Tide Nexus, you know, and I have to like buy that model. Like, I, I don't know how I feel about that. How long do they want to manufacture that stuff, right? Yeah. Especially for, for low-play armies like uh, Fire Slayers, how, how long do they want to hold on to the terrain piece for Fire Slayers? Because all the Fire Slayer players pretty much have one. How many people are getting into it? What's the cost-benefit analysis? I just get the feeling that stuff like terrain and in the spells it will, it won't stick around forever. Mm-hmm. Terrain, I think, is stick, will stick around. I think uh, Endless Spells, if I'm new to collecting Stormcast... No, I wouldn't rush out and, and write this this minute by malign sorcery. Uh, if I really want one particular endless spell, I would probably go onto eBay and, and just buy it as a singular. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I I don't I don't like my I, I've got all of the endless spells, both malign sorcery and forbidden power. And there's probably five that I rotated through my armies like this. I don't think I've ever run half of them. Um so yeah. and now that the points have gone up in in age of sigma three and they're a lot easier to unbind um they're just not on a lot of incentives right now I, I would wait until there's a more incentive to go out and you know that that could be something else in your collection that you'll get far greater value from mm-hmm. yeah i definitely don't recommend the endless spells especially not the stormcast ones they are not worth your money right now comets are all right yeah if it didn't cost points I would, I would definitely use it if it didn't cost points. Uh, so another one of these like quick list things, um, just for reference for later, our opinion, right? Standard caveat. If you disagree, cool. Let's have a discussion about it. Uh, but a lot of people don't want to spend money on units that uh, are not doing well in in pitch battles right now. Units that aren't efficient. Um, they feel like, like they feel like tricked almost, right? Like, oh, I spent all this money and this model is cool and then I find out that it's not good. And I, I hate that Games Workshop does this, that they make models that people don't get excited about. Uh, I don't want to say any of these are objectively bad, but if you are interested in competitive play and you want to get the most bang for your buck, I would say, and you guys can feel free to disagree with this, uh, but I would say to avoid the units on this list, right? Uh, sequiturs and Vanquishers are just inefficient for what they do. Uh, Annihilators with Shields don't seem to do anything compared to grand hammers um same deal with retributors and decimators compared to grand hammers it seems like it's hard to make a case for them um yeah i'm not going to go through every single unit on this list um but for quick reference there you go if you guys are looking for our opinion maybe not the coach's opinion but let's say uh the storm keeps opinion on which units to avoid for competitive play it would be this list here is there anything on here you guys would uh would disagree with in particular that would merit a discussion Probably evocators. I mean, that's a very oh yeah. But I, I get the gist of it. Um, my my thing is you can. I, I view competitive play as like many like tiers of. Uh, let let me clarify of... that. I'm thinking like top yeah. tier. Like you want to be one of those ten percent of players at the GT going five zero. You want the most efficient list possible. You don't want to waste mm-hmm. any money on anything that's not going to get you there. This is who okay, yeah, this list yeah, is meant yeah. for. If, if, yeah. Yeah, if that's if that's the mindset, sure. Um, but like you could, like for instance, like for me, like I'm a little, I I can see evocators and annihilators with shields making their way into some 
just competitive, not not we're not talking about like the unicorns or whatever. Yeah. I love all these models. I have all these models. I like using them. I don't want anybody to get the idea that you should just never get these, but it is a common question we've received is is, you know, short list of things I'm, that aren't that great. I'm reluctant to agree with you, given that we are on the cusp of the of the FAQ. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. you, like if you tell if Dracolines go down a hundred points, like oh, yeah. and and you're and you're watching this video in February 2022, then we look crazy. So I think contextually, yeah. it's it's just hard, right? Like, um, you, you know, yeah, just like we can't. What happens? Just like they're risky units. This is also a risky list because if you yeah. hit us on Dracolines, that'll even come 220. Wow, that opens up a lot of options, right? What yeah. I will say though is the Underworld Warbands are great alternative sculpts. You know, we were oh, talking yeah. about uh, Lord Relictors and things like that, and even Knight Cantors. These are great alternative sculpts in your army. Yeah. So um, maybe you wouldn't run the Warband, um, but I have actually found a lot of passion in or passion's probably not the right word, but Underworld's Warbands are great as well because you don't give away broken ranks because um, they're, they're yeah. a cheap screen and uh, you don't give away a lot. So. Um, I wouldn't write things off completely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, um, again, to optimize people who just don't want to spend a single dollar that won't get them to a 5 to GT, right? That's the mindset going into this list. Um, but like Ox King is uh, asking in the chat, would point reductions change my mind on some of these or are they a War Scrolls just busted? There's very few models in Stormcast where the War Scroll is just so bad that no amount of points would make them viable. A lot of our units are just... I would consider not viable just because of their points, right? Like if, like what Coach was saying, if Dracolines went down 100 points, oh yeah, that's that's a game changer, right? It, a lot of this is based on the points, and points can change like that. They one day you wake up and everything's totally different, which is why we have been spending the last you know two hours talking about you should collect the models you like, and points come and go. Um, this was just to answer a common question in our Discord. And similarly, another one we get all the time uh, is how you should equip your units, right? Uh, should I'm not going to read off through the whole list. I'm just going to timestamp this. We're going to leave it here. Uh, but the one I am going to focus on is at the bottom there. I'm talking about Dracoths, Drakesworn, and Star Drakes. And I mentioned to magnetize these models. Uh, so this is an aspect of the hobby that a lot of players find very, very intimidating. And what this typically refers to is, uh, is drilling a hole on two different sides of a model inserting magnets, and then uh, having it magnetized. Uh, so James, you recently got into this. Tell me about your experience of magnetizing as somebody who has never done it before. Uh, so started off with the uh, Dracothian Guard. Quite frankly, those are probably the best model, uh, best kit to start magnetizing with, I'd have to say. Um, I just carried that same sort of uh, toolbox that I learned from that into uh, doing it with my Annihilators now. So. I don't have to spend additional money on shield annihilators. I can just swap between grand hammers and shields now. Nice. Yeah, so here on this slide, uh, this is a photo I share in our Discord, and it's a quick guide to magnetizing Dracothian Guard. I use them as an example because they are by far the easiest kit I've ever seen to magnetize. Uh, exactly where you put the magnets are, uh, it, it's on the, um, the elbow bit on their arms, and that happens to also be most of the arm connection, right? So you can have, you can see in the picture here, uh, there's a hand crossbow, there's a glaive, and there's an axe. All of them have a little magnet just in the right spot. I drilled a little hole in the other side of the arm, and I can just snap those on anytime I want. 
This is a phenomenal kit to learn how to magnetize. If you haven't tried it because you're intimidated or it seems too complicated, um, trust me, it's not. It's really, really easy to magnetize these models. And when they cost like 60 bucks a kit and you get two models out of that, and instead you could be getting potentially six different models out of that, you'll, you'll find it really worth your time to learn how to do this. It's a great skill. You should definitely learn how to, how to do this. Uh, one note there that's super important is that last dot. Uh, check the polarity on the magnets. Yeah, I didn't run it. I didn't run into it, but it is uh, a trap yep. if there ever was one. Yeah, make sure that it it's actually gonna work. <laughs> and definitely use super glue. I've made the mistake of putting a bunch of plastic glue in, and it melts all around, and then you have to clean out the hole even further. It, it's just just don't use plastic glue. Use super glue or crazy glue when you're doing this. So, all right, and that brings us to the last part here, kind of just like a little freeform discussion on just building and painting and collecting Stormcast in general, right? So, how how do you guys prefer doing it? Do you like doing helmets all over the place, or do you guys like doing the faces? Because I've seen some people swear by one and not the other. Mixed. Mix. Okay. Yeah. Coach, how about you? Well, I think you. Well, I think you know. We we've got to remember the context of this show, and if I'm starting to play Stormcast and I'm new to the hobby, um, an, an easy way would be to go helmets because faces are faces intimidating. Are. They can be quite difficult, a lot harder than what you're currently doing. So uh, helmets are definitely an easier way to get into it. If you're more experienced, faces are great. Um, and I would just do my faces separately. So I would build my kits without the face attached to the model. And I'd paint them separately and then attach them at the end. You'll get um, much better quality painting and you'll be able to get to a lot more of the model by doing it that way. Um, mm. Personally, I have built um, with faces. I despise, I I'm not a fan of the helmeted Stormcast. I don't like the faceless um, souls. You know, the, the law tells me that these are the, the champions of Sigma who have been reforged. I want to know who they are. So for me, I want the faces. I've gone out to Forge World and purchased the male and female um, bonus sprues. They give you like 10 different heads for male and female. Um, I prefer that over the, the heads, but I've seen some great head swaps um, from many kits. Yeah. Two. One that comes to mind is the Free Guild Greatsword heads, the medieval plate heads over Vindictors. It looks fantastic. Yeah, like I've seen, um, I've seen some. Uh, what's it called? Um, the thirty k Horus Heresy. I think it's like MK ones. It's more knightly, yeah. you know, having yeah. more knightly's type of heads, or you can get, um, literally Vince Ventrell's Dunny Skaven rats. Like, there's yeah. there's a lot of great uh, third party bits that you can get for this sort of thing. Um, definitely yeah. gonna shout out Puppets War. They make phenomenal heads that fit just right on Stormcast heads. Um, there's a, but there's a lot of other places too. I, I want to say, Coach, put a, cav I, put a caveat though yeah. that um, if you attend a Warhammer store mm. or if you're planning on going to like a Warhammer event, whether it's Warhammer World or one of the Warhammer Opens, um, Games Workshop may tell you that you're not allowed to use your models because they are requiring full Games Workshop kit. So if you are going to use a third party or 3D print them yourself, um, just be aware that you may not be welcome to play with your Stormcast. So 
just keep that in mind. That does also extend to resin bases. They have a thing about people using third-party resin bases. Um, I have been, I, I use a lot of resin bases. I use a lot of different companies. I really like the way they look. They add like that extra little bit of uh, flair to the model. And uh, I have been told that it would not be acceptable at Warhammer World in the UK. If you're just playing at your local game store, who cares? Do it. Doesn't yeah. matter. But if you if you uh, games workshop in the the terms and conditions, do say that your model and even in the Warhammer stores, they have the right. If your models aren't a hundred percent Games Workshop or Forge mm -hmm. World, can turn you away. Yep. And that that also does extend. I know people who have been turned away from Warhammer World for using tufts that were not made by Games Workshop. Oh. They can be quite strict sometimes. It's yeah uh, yeah. Um, we get we, we're getting into a weird like like <laughs> how are you going to tell me that this is games workshop sand on my base are you are you going to test the black and not, not not see that it's vallejo i think right yeah like like how are they going to tell that's not sterling mud i yeah i just know one person's told me i should probably have verified it i'm talking about it i wouldn't want to scare i wouldn't want to scare the audience and i'm not yeah. trying to defend games workshop i just think there is things like heads and and helmets and weapons things that are obvious bracing games workshop will keep an eye out for things like paint things like tufts yeah yeah i don't think that's gonna matter i'll have the boys down in the lab run this paint color real quick before your game and make sure <laughs> well, I know that for a fact because I, I I use I I took I went to the GW Open recently and I use Army Painter tufts and I use Army Painter bases. Okay, that's good. No one cares. Yeah. Uh, on the topic of helmets, um, I actually got it. One of the reasons I liked Stormcast was because they had the uniform faces all across, and there was actually a lore explanation for this because chaos thrives on mortal emotion and because the the raging chaos at the time was corn which is all about anger rage uh, honorable combat but like take it to an extreme right they wanted to see the fear or defiance in the in the eyes of their opponents because that's what gave them strength because it was all fueled by emotion so sigmar specifically went out of his way to make a bunch of golden god men who did not show emotion because it was more unnerving to corn who thrives on emotion because Sigmar's whole deal is kind of like a low key emperor from 40 K where he does want to defeat chaos forever, ideally. And one of the ways to do that is to stamp out emotion. And there's been this like long running thread in the stormcast lore of is is Sigmar purposefully uh, taking away the emotions of the stormcast over time in order to help combat uh, the chaos threat. So I've always liked that little detail that they didn't have to flesh that out. Right. Cause it could, it, it's totally just an artistic choice. But the fact that they actually yeah. turned that into a little narrative thing was really cool to me, and I and I like that. I like the idea of like this corn berserker who's been just eating the bodies of his victims as they're like looking at him in terror, right? They're straight up cannibals, and then he faces off against this like towering, golden armored, just no expression, doesn't even care that he's fighting you. Like I thought that was really cool. But I do like pink yeah. faces on my dudes as well. I'm not good at it, but. <laughs> You you do you. If yeah. you like faces, do faces. You don't like you on helmets, do helmets. Yeah. There's no right or wrong. Exactly. Yep. So let's talk about uh, picking a paint scheme and and how you went about picking the colors that you did. Now we know James, you picked because you liked the hockey team colors and it's a sweet concept. Uh, but how about you guys? We'll start with uh, Mergonk. How did you pick your army scheme? I read the battle tome. Loved Hammer Sigmar. Love anvils. Looked up how to paint anvils, how to paint hammers. Went with that. Nice and simple. 
How about yeah. you, Coach? Do you have any uh, painted stormcast you want to show off? Not not to show off, uh, but I have I made my own color scheme. I looked at the I looked at the the books. Um, I've looked at a lot of cool tutorials, and me being a special snowflake, I wanted something um, a bit more unique to me. So I've I um, mocked up. Um, I think there's a really cool template if you Google search it, like a little paint. You know, you just throw some colors down and um, uh, make up your own scheme. So it's almost like I've kind of tapped into a little bit of the 40k with the sister chapters, and you know, um, yeah, you have alternative color schemes. So. I've also looked at a lot of 40k, given that um, they've got so many different color combinations. There's some some things you can borrow from, and there's also a lot of great tutorials as well that can show you how to paint base wolves, paint iron hands, iron fists, or whatever it is, and um, um, borrow from those concepts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I I went with black armor because I saw one magazine in first edition that had like a black armor stormcast, and I thought, yeah, that looks great. You can actually see the gold trim on them. It's not just gold on gold on gold. You can actually make out details, and that's what I went with. And then that turned out to be the Anvils of Heldenhammer, which have a long and storied history of being really, really good and now really, really bad. So, For me, it was simplicity, too, because uh, when I was starting out, I didn't want something that was too complicated. Uh, edge highlighting scared the crap out of me. Um, and I saw the gold armor, which was, hey, sprayed black, sprayed gold. No edge highlighting really needed. Just put a shade on it, and you're really good to go. And so that was a factor when I was starting the hobby. Yeah, I, I have a note here talking about speed versus quality, but also there's an element of it that is how intimidating it is for new players to to actually get through and paint something, right? And and how much does that anxiety that you feel over your your lack of your perceived lack of skill affect the color palette that and and techniques that you want to use? There's definitely an element of that. Um, I mean, that's actually, so So the way it was for me was I went for the simple one because I knew I could do that and I could do that fairly well enough just by watching a YouTube tutorial. And as I felt my skills increase, I started branching out. And that's when I was like, okay, I'll do, I'll try angles now because I feel like I'm confident enough to where I can edge highlight that black and have it pop out and look good. So yeah, that's, I mean, so yeah, there's nothing wrong with switching schemes, you know, halfway through painting your army or like, like I said, it's your models, you do you. So if you want to pick something easy to start with that gives you more confidence and then move on to something that's slightly more complicated and maybe richer in contrast and different uses all kinds of different colors, yeah, totally, that's that's on you. Well, that might be a reason to go just to buy a box of um, Liberators or if you've got the Mortal Realms magazine, just buy five or ten models and use them as a test scheme. You know, try mm-hmm. out some concepts and then you know, see what they like, and then you might jump into your real models. The Underworld Warbands are really good for this sort of thing. You can test out other schemes, and then, uh, like, I have thousands and thousands of points of, of Black Armored Starcast, but I really like doing the Anvil, or sorry, the uh, Knight's Excelsior scheme on, on little Warbands here and there, or Celestial Vindicators, or, or something, just to break up the monotony of painting thousands of points of Black Armored Dudes. Um, I didn't, Mergonk, I didn't know you actually switched your color scheme. How exactly did you break it up? Was it like new chamber came out and you did it that way or was it? Yeah. So I, uh, the way I do it is, uh, yeah, for me it was chamber. So I had initially, so all my warrior chamber stuff is in, and even Vanguard is in, uh, I think hammers for now. All my sacrosanct stuff is in Andals of the Heldenhammer. Hmm. Cool. What color so, scheme did you do uh, on the Thunderstrike? 
Uh, so I don't know if you saw my annihilators that I took to the open. Uh, their hammers a sigmar. Oh, so you went back. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, for like, yeah, so because I really like the story of the Sempiternals inside uh, uh, when Soul Wars is going on. So I that's what I went with uh, for uh, my Sacrosanct Chamber. Cool. It was a story that got me into it. Plus, I was confident that I could add Highlight Black now. They made them look really good, too. The uh, the anvils mm -hmm. with the, the cloaks and everything that they had in second edition. Yeah, really I, I really like the Death Mask. Like, they paint uh, the bone colors over the black mask. And it's, mm -hmm. like, it's really good. Yeah. I'm going to probably butcher this. I'm pretty sure uh, Jack from Rerolling Ones was in the chat earlier, and I remember his Stormcast, and I hope I don't get this wrong, I think they were painted like the Seahawks, um, which is an American. Oh, yeah, yeah, his green and black team? color. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like green and blue or green and black. Again, I think yeah, I, yeah. I really like James. James, I love your concept, you know, as a proud Bulldogs man, you know, blue and white would look great, you know. And they're tried and, they're tried and tested colors as well, so. Yeah, well, um, it's funny because the Seattle Seahawks and the Vancouver Canucks are basically the same uh, color scheme, quite frankly. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, I no love record. it as an alternative concept. Like you don't have to do the the six that's in the book, or however many of those in the book. Yeah. Feel feel liberated to do your own scheme and um and make it your own. Yeah, and there's always the side benefit that you can just use whatever stormless rules you want if you make up your own color scheme. So if there's ever a discussion about it, you can just avoid it completely by making up your own scheme. So there's that. Yeah. No tournament organizer is going to see your your um your army painted in one color scheme, and try to actually you and say, well, why is your list submitted as this list and not this list? It's it's not forty k. Like you yeah. can't push push a blood angel over as a as an ultramarine. We don't have that problem. Yeah, well, that rule definitely makes a lot more sense in forty k because if I'm across the table and the guy's got space marines and he's using blood angel rules with a bunch of blue guys, I'm going to be like, okay, all right. There's so many different kinds of space marines. It's, it just makes it easier to identify it right away. Actually, I wouldn't even mind that. The problem is 40k allows the, the detachment mixing. You mm. could have a detachment of ultramarines with a detachment of blood angels, and then it becomes really important for them to be differentiated. Totally. Because yeah. you have two detachments with separate rules. But yeah, like Coach said, we don't have that problem. So. Yeah, so if you're coming in from 40k and, and Stormcast is your jam, um, know that the rules aren't as strict um, as, as 40k. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, one thing Stormcast are really good at, and, and something that I think goes underappreciated, is how well they they kitbash. I think they kitbash exceedingly well. I think one of the best things about Stormcast is that all the bits uh, just kind of fit together nicely on all the different models, and I really appreciate that about them. And uh, like I've taken spears from prosecutors and put them on liberators, and that looks great. Uh, Ox King in the chat has done phenomenal work using Retributor Arms to turn regular Annihilators into Grand Hammer Annihilators. Um, just, it's such a satisfying thing, because my favorite part of the hobby is building. I love building and collecting and having all this stuff. Painting and gaming, um, those are secondary for me. I really just like building stuff. And just having all these different bits. Um, one problem I'm running into right now is that uh, the Knight Arcanum... I accidentally clipped off her hand, and I'm trying to find a replacement. You know, the she's got like her fingers up like that or whatever. Yeah. I'm trying to find a replacement. I just can't figure it out. You're about to become a master of green stuff. <laughs> I guess that's the next step. I got to learn how to do that. I was hoping to start with like some hair or cloaks or something, and not something as detailed as a hand. Well, you've you've seen some of my models. I've um, 
one of the things that I'm doing in my kit, my army is I'm kit bashing the hell out of it. And um, I put a photo on Twitter recently of my Gardas, and I have swapped Gardas's sword. So Gardas now has, um, I think it's the Emperor's Champion. So I've tapped a lot of um, the the Black Templar models. So I've got their their captain leader, um, the High Marshal Brecht, whatever his name is. Hellbrecht. He's yeah, got yeah. like a yeah, I've got Hellbrecht's helmet. He's got a helmet version, uh, much like Gardas. So I've got like this very 40, 40k, but it's, but it's also very knightly head for Gardas, and he's got an alternative sword. And I may actually even swap out his his weapon. Um, I'm doing a heap of kit bashing, um, mixing both Warhammer Age of Sigma and 40k kits that make sense. And um, mm-hmm. it's an and I'm about to start learning how to green stuff because I want to start making cloaks on um, the Thunderstrike armor. Oh, that's gonna yeah, look nice. That would be yeah. sick. I want to start what, what doing dr- that for the uh, Storm Drake Guard, actually. Give them four cloaks. A lot of cool customization you can do. And Games Workshop sell a lot of cool stuff as well through through Forge World. Alternative shields, alternative heads, um, if you're not confident in, in sculpting. I wish they did more of that stuff. I wish Forge World was just dedicated to making cosmetic upgrades for pretty much every faction. Because they're, they're at their best when they do that, and they don't do enough of that. Oh, agree. All right, last thing. Pick one unit as your favorite Stormcast unit. And we'll start with James. Navigators on Dracolines. I knew you would say that. <laughs> Itty cats. And we'll go, uh, we'll go counterclockwise to Coach next. On me. <sighs> Look, I'm a Timmy, so dragons. But I've really enjoyed the Stormcast Chariot. Um, that is a really, really cool model. So while it wouldn't be my favorite, Dragon's clearly uh, my favorite. I've got to shout out the, the Chariot. The Chariot's just boss. Mm-hmm. Mergonk, what about you, man? Pick one favorite. Evocator, evocators on foot. I had a joy of building and painting them. They, just, that's a great got so much character. Cloaks all the way, magic staffs, balls of energy coming across, swords, you know, it's just got everything. Yeah, for sure, man. That that kit is phenomenal. I, I love how much variety there is in it. And it mm-hmm. it's such a pain that and it's a perfect mix because I, I hate painting like like it's got like your I think there's like two female, three female, two male. I like a mix of having different things to paint, you know, different proportions or whatever. It gets boring painting the same size uh like tree trunk legs over and over and over. I'm yeah. painting up a squad of adjudicators right now. It's awful. Mm-hmm. I really wish we had female liberators outside of the like the special edition. I think Larissa Shadowstalker, that's what her name is, mm. and the uh, Angarad Bright Shield from the Underworld's Warband. I wish we had like dedicated female liberator sculpts inside those boxes. That would be great. But we get Vindictors now, so it's fine. The Vindictors have phenomenal proportioning. I really, really yep. like it. They just mm-hmm. nailed that. Uh, for me, my favorite is Lesson Prime. Easy. He's got the wings. He's uh, got that sweet celestial orrery that's so iconic. Uh, the huge cloak that it turns into, just the way it transitions in there is just phenomenal. That's definitely definitely my favorite Stormcast model. Probably my favorite model of all time. Big fan of Storm of Celestial Prime. Yeah, sweet looking models. Okay. And that about uh, wraps it up. Let's see what chat's favorite model is here. Oh, I was yeah. going to say, like the the, the <laughs> YouTubey thing at this particular point is to tell everybody if they've listened to this much of the show is to make sure in the comment section to let us know what their favorite model is and why. 
See, that's why we bring you on, man. We don't know all this YouTube uh, secrets. <laughs> uh, like honestly, I think you know, with with a roster as deep as the Stormcast, you know, there's a lot of cool characters. Um, you know, Gav Gav Shawhart, for example, wonderful character. Um, some of the new kits that are coming out in the anniversary, like the the is it Silas with the um, yeah. the Beastman head, it's holding. Silas Beastman, yes, yeah. I, there's I, just yeah. so many cool models. Like yeah. um, Larissa, you mentioned. I, I can't wait to build Larissa. She's a wonderful, wonderful kit. Indrasa is just an inc- yeah. extraordinary model. I think um, you're very, you know, as somebody. There's a liberator. I can't remember with the grand hammer with an orc head below it. It's a limited edition model. Oh yes, so yeah, the, the the dude with the double hammer, like the, yeah, the yeah, massive he's like grand standing hammer. Like this, yeah, yeah. He has a cloak on his back, like a fur cloak, and there's a dead orc at his feet. It's it's like, oh god, I really want that model. As somebody who has collected and owns about seven or eight different armies, Stormcast fans, you have no idea how lucky you are with the types of sculpts the range and the ability to just have the the flexibility to jump around your book like it's um it's a great place to start uh and, and that's being genuine um it's what's what ultimately drew me into the into the army oh yeah we, we are spoiled for choices it is a good time to be a stormcast player for sure Let's see here um chase is saying vandis hammerhand it's a good pick vandis is very very iconic love that model um Noah's a big sucker for Celestin Prime. Attaboy. The yeah. right choice. Uh, prosecutors. David likes prosecutors. The yeah. wings, man. Very the, good models. Those first edition wings were the, my favorite thing about Stormcast. I really hope we don't see only Andrasta style feathered wings going forward. I really hope we get back to that Art Deco style. I love it. It's so good. It's funny because I actually converted my Knight Azeroth to have angelic <laughs> wings. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm like your complete yin to the yang. So That's you're like, I love the helmets. I just, and I'm like, I hate helmets. They're, they're so fragile. I just don't, that's why I don't like them. It's so oh. annoying. I, but I drew from a lot of the sisters of the battle because they have like a lot of cool angelic and, you know, wonderful um, kits as well. But yeah. Yeah. Like, right. It's great that there's options. Let, let me ask yeah. you this. If you guys had to pick one new Thunderstrike model, and it can't be the Drakes. We know how much mm-hmm. everyone loves the Drakes. But if you had to pick a new Thunderstrike that's not a dragon, which one? What's your favorite model? The Lord Imperitant. Okay. I think he looks like an actual commander, like the Celestin one, the Lord Celestin on foot from First Edition. He looks fine. Like he just looks like a tankier retributor with a small cloak on him. But the Lord Imperitant looks with the cloak and the Griffhound with the Griff at his feet, with the armor, with the chains and the ropes and the little dagger. Phenomenal model. Oh yeah, he definitely looks like a guy who's commanding the battle, not necessarily participating in it, but he's off overseeing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. my pick's got to be Bastion. I think Bastion just yeah. nails the Thunderstrike concept, takes it to its logical conclusion, and looks so freaking good. I think that is the like the best Thunderstrike model. Mm-hmm. James, I'm gonna ape you here, Coach. I like the Chariots as my favorite Thunderstrike model. And to be different, um, I converted my Lord Relictor from a Knight Relictor. And um, I really enjoyed the the Knight Relictor model. It's a very cool model. And there's a lot of conversion opportunities to make it unique as well. So um, yeah, big fan of that one. Honorable mention is the Vexler with Apotheosis Mm -hmm. banner. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's I was, right. in, I I was an idiot. Oh, they nailed that. They nailed the aesthetic on that one. I love that model. The like, pose. Yeah, his pose is so good. Yes. I mean, if we're talking I, I wouldn't poses, mind putting we've him got, in with a big Yeah. Gardas is pretty sick. Yeah. But he's he's technically old old cast. Technically. He's he's yeah. the last of the old cast. Getting a lot of love in the chat for Bastion. Uh, Mark's shouting out yep. Vanguard Hunters. Oh man, I forgot about Vanguard Hunters. They're so good. You did, you wouldn't think Paladin Rangers would work well together, like fusing those two concepts, but Vanguard Hunters are so good, man. Yeah, a lot of love for Bastion, the banner guy. <laughs> yeah, good old banner guy. He's so great. Our chat has really good taste. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, hopefully, this has been useful. Hopefully, we've created something here that uh, some of it will date, obviously, like uh, when we talk about specific units, that's going to get dated. Uh, but hopefully, there's a lot of good advice in here that people can come back to later or reference people. Uh, that's really what we are trying to create here with this roundtable discussion. Um, really quickly, just going to go over our future projects. We've got a bunch of videos coming up. A lot of them are waiting for the winter update. Don't want to go into too much detail about that because... It'll come when it comes, and then we'll be releasing new videos about that. Uh, hobby Hangouts. James, you want to quickly shout out what times we're doing Hobby Hangouts? Yep. So, uh, again, uh, all Eastern time, Wednesday, 7 to 10 p.m. for the North American crowd. Saturday morning, 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. for the European crowd. And uh, Saturday evenings, 9, uh, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. Uh, Eastern for the Aussies. Right on. They're, they're a lot of fun, and uh, with things the way they are in the world... It's good to just have some people to share a hobby with. So feel free to drop in on our server, on anybody's server. Honestly, just socialize. Talk to people. Yep. It's important for you. Um, on that topic, we are doing our first painting contest. It's the Night Relictor, um, partially because we needed an excuse to paint ours, uh, but also because I actually do think it's just a cool model. Um, so starting from December 26th until January 16th, there's going to be a new channel on our Discord. You can drop in pictures of your, your Night Relictor there. Um, the Stormkeep guys are going to pick a winner, and they're going to get a prize of Vanquishers, Vindictors, Vigilors, or Annihilators. Should say Annihilators on this slide. Um, battle Reports, still working on it. I'm going to be posting some pictures of the space that we're making for it on the Discord. And uh, if you want to support us on that, visit us on Patreon. Consider tossing a couple bucks our way. Uh, big shout out to Coach for joining us on this live stream. Um, it's been a lot of fun, man. I really hope we get to do this again sometime soon. Maybe, thank uh, you. Thank, thank you for the invite. Yeah. Maybe when I start a Cities of Sigmar army, I'll come to your channel. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> hey, I'm waiting on the Dawnbringer. Yeah, waiting on the Dawnbringer Crusades to show up because uh, that is a really yeah. uh, action. Yeah. I'll be, I think. Uh, I'll be I think. At them very closely. I think you'll be waiting till 2023. But until then, I have my. I didn't actually show this off yet. My. Oh. So, I, no, can you get the nice. full thing uh, my, in this camera? Oh, that is sick. Oh, that is sick. So where can I get one? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh that that'll be me role playing uh the Celestine Prime or something, but Oh jeez. I don't even want to know how you're going to get up on the on the tippy tops of your little cloak there and float around. <laughs> Just going to have some people no, carrying you around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just just levitate, you know how it is. Oh, just you know, just I forgot I just could do that. <laughs>
All right. No, but cheers to the invite. Uh, if people want to chat and see me as well, like you obviously know that I've got a channel, but make sure to subscribe to the Stormkeep and uh, more importantly, join the Discord as well. Uh, you guys are doing great work when it comes to Stormcast related content. And if people are worried about making the wrong purchase or trying to, you know, get through the the things that we all we all went through at some point in to learn the hobby. Um, you've got a wealth of information at the Stormkeep. So, you know, take this opportunity to join. Yeah. And big shout out to you, man. I love the interviews you're doing, um, not just for Stormcast, but you do a lot of quality content and I, I love your channel. So it was really great having you on here. Really appreciate you coming on. And uh, Morgan, James, you guys have been great too. Thank you, everybody who, uh, if there's some European out there watching us this late, shout out to you in particular for staying up this late. Uh, but otherwise... Everybody have a great night or a great day if you're in Australia. Take care. Thanks. See you guys. Take care, guys. Whew, that's it.